Hello and welcome to the conversation. I'm Heil Russell, and we are broadcasting this installment live on twitch.tv forward slash dkvine. On this very special episode, I am joined by a four-person panel, three other people in addition to myself. Who's with me today? Uh, I'm Cameron Regal. Hi. I'm Dustin Jackson. Hello. And I'm Adam. What? From off of the Idaho crew. That's right. Now, (laughs) if you couldn't figure it out, we're here to discuss the Super Mario Brothers movie, which just opened in most markets three days ago. So needless to say, this episode will contain spoilers. It will have all of the spoilers. In fact, it'll be mostly nothing but spoilers. So if you want my opinion of the movie without being spoiled, please go to DK Vine and read my written review there. That is safe. If you're planning on seeing the movie and don't want to be spoiled... Then what are you doing here? Stop. Get out. If you're listening to this on our podcast networks or or YouTube or SoundCloud after the fact, don't. Don't do it. Go watch the cartoon gamer going through a a, a Donkey Kong marathon right now or or go watch the Geek Critique or something. We'll wait for you. Just to just be careful on YouTube. There's a lot of people uploading spoilers for the movie. Yes, oh, yes, I hate uh, that. Um, we we are we are trying to be very cautious here at DK Vine about making sure that we don't interact or engage publicly with any spoilers. And people have been sending me like stuff to to like, hey, 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 I'm tagging DK Vine in this. And I'm like, I can't even like this because people will see that I liked it, and then people will be spoiled. For the movie, so I, I just made the decision that any discussion, spoiler discussion of the movie, would be contained within this episode of the conversation until sometime after the movie is out digitally, because we are still in the middle of a global pandemic, and a lot of people can't go to a theater, and you know maybe they just are too busy to go even so. We we want to be fair to all of our fellow fans and not make them feel left out. And I know a lot of the online culture around movie releases is very much centered as, oh, you didn't see it the opening weekend? Well, sucks to, to be you. Here are all the spoilers. We're not going to do that at DK Vine. You're at least safe here. But, you know, like Cameron said, if you are on YouTube, you might want to watch out because the algorithm will surely spoil it for you anyway. So, uh... <laughs> Um, we'll be checking in with the live stream chat as we go. Um, hopefully all the live stream have seen the movie and, uh, you know, if they haven't, maybe they just don't give a damn, but either way, they know they are in spoiler territory, spoiler Kong country. So, uh, we'll be trying to check in with the live stream. It might be moving fast and furious. So it's the four of us and, and this is a bigger 
crew than we normally have on the conversation. Usually it's a special occasion that we have this big panel. And usually it's stuff like E3. Like I think the last time we had a four-person panel was E3 2019 when we were all there in person. And I briefly toyed with having even more DK Vine staffers on this episode. But we ultimately decided that it was going to be enough of a mess with four people. And this episode is going to be a lot looser than you're used to. It's going to be a little, you know, janky. We're going to be talking over each other. We're going to be having some technical hiccups, no doubt. But uh, you three were the first first who announced their intention to see the movie before we were doing this, before we were broadcasting, before we were recording. However, other DK Vine staffers did go on opening day, and so in order to get their thoughts on this monumental episode that people have been looking forward to, they decided to call in to the DK Vine hotline. And why don't we go ahead, before we really get into this, why don't we go ahead and hear what our own Jeff Onan thought about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Let's go ahead and play Jeff's call. Hey, conversation. Uh, Jeff Onan here. First time, long time. Um, I just got out seeing the Mario movie, the new one, uh, and I liked it. Uh, I went in relatively blind. Uh, I was one of those people uh, that was kind of skeptical of Chris Pine as Mario, but once the movie gets going, you kind of like you lose him in the movie. It, it's it's fine. Um, I like the Mushroom Kingdom. I like the cast, like the the way they did the castle and stuff. It was a very kind of a realistic, detailed take. Uh, I like the kind of turned the main cast into more of an adventuring party. It's not just about Mario. I will say, I kind of expected there to be more Donkey Kong in it. I'm not sold on his new design. Um, I did like they captured like his brute strength and made him more animalistic. Uh, I didn't like Bowser's design. He looks more like a dragon than a Koopa. But other than that, I guess my main complaint is the movie was, like, too original. They didn't have any, like, music or, like, settings from the games. It just kind of felt like their own take on it. Um, so hopefully there's more fan service in the sequel. Um, I did like they got the Mimic treasure chest in there, uh, which is a reference to Mario Hoops 3-on-3. Three three. So that's cool. Anyway, overall, like, good visuals, fun adventure movie. The cast was great, Hugh Grant, Michelle Rodriguez. Um, it just didn't feel very Mario-y to me. Can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts on it. Ciao. Uh, yeah, it's Jeff Onan again. Um, I was, I, I can't, uh, I was Googling. Um, I don't think I watched the right movie. You just disregard the last call completely and this one. Like, don't, um, you don't have to play them on the show or anything. I think I was just confused. So, um, yeah, uh, it's Jeff again. Um, I didn't watch the movie. Uh, ciao. Yeah, it's Jeff Onan. Uh, I, I, I got around to watching the, the real, the, the actual Mario movie, the cartoon. Um, and I liked it. Ciao. <sighs> uh, I'm sorry, everyone. I thought that would be a good, nice idea to have, you know, staffers call in. And Jeff ruined it right out of the gate. Could have been fun. <laughs> you know, Jeff mentioned Chris Pine. 
I think he may have accidentally wandered into the Dungeons and Dragons film. Yeah, that was the bit. That, that was the joke. That was the joke he was doing. That was the bit. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it was a good bit. <laughs> See, I've already lost patience with this whole episode, thanks to Jeff. <laughs> I mean, my personal history with Jeff... In my personal history with Jeff, Dungeons and Dragons has been very Donkey Kong heavy, so That's I don't true. blame him for making that mistake. Oh, <laughs> uh, so look, I haven't been, seen a movie on opening day since before the pandemic. I mean, I, I think it was a Star War that I went to see on opening day. It might have been Rise of Skywalker. It might have been all the way back to Last Jedi. I don't really remember, but. You know, it was back when going to a movie theater still seemed like a good time to me when it was like, ooh, a treat. Ooh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to sit into a, a a big room with a, a big screen and watch a movie. Ooh. And now, you know, post 2020, I'm, I'm just like... Uh, this 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 sucks. I I don't I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this germ <laughs> factor. I was the only one in the theater wearing a mask the whole time. Uh, I felt super cool. But look, I I didn't want to get sick, and there were a lot of germy kids around me. I I like solitude. I like being in the forest alone with my thoughts and the whittle animals. Uh, that that's my idea of a good time. And you know, I I mentioned the kids and. Yeah, my theater was full of kids, and nothing against kids. Kids are great. I'm still a kid at heart, but, you know, kids tend to be loud, impatient. Uh, They talk, they chew loudly, they don't respect the sanctity of the theater, and I can't focus on the movie as much as I want to. And it turns out, when you go to a noon matinee on a weekday, while kindergarten through 12th grade are on spring break, uh, and you decide to see a children's movie made by Illumination, uh, it, it, it's it's going to be filled with mostly children. Yeah. But because I run DK Vine, I had to be there. So uh, to, to really get inside my head and to share the agony I went through to see the Mario movie, I actually brought along a notebook with me to the theater to take notes, uh, which quickly went awry when it got too dark for me to actually see the page <laughs> to write on. But uh, <laughs> I took notes before the movie started, and I would like to read some of my thoughts on this experience. So... Uh, if you'll allow me, I really feel like this will help set the stage for what we're about to discuss. It will take us back to the theater experience. All right, so 30 minutes early, nobody's here. Three minutes later, two kids come in. Will they appreciate the deep Donkey Kong lore? Uh, and then I said, it occurs to me how little pressure I feel as a Donkey Kong fan. This is going to be Mario's failure or success. And the Donkey Kong brand is just leeching off it. Even if it's terrible, it's great exposure for Donkey Kong, who's feasting off it like a tapeworm. Alright, so then uh, eight minutes in, two more kids come in. Their parental guardian has a Mario shirt. Uh, I I then asked, should I be handing out my business cards for DK Vine? Uh, (laughs) Twelve minutes in, two little kids come in with their parents and sit directly in front of me. Oh no. Am I the only childless adult here? Uh, a minute later, a single dude in his 20s comes in. Oh, thank God. 
uh, 16 minutes in and the theater is filling up. A kid is already crying because he's scared. The advertisements haven't even started. There's nothing on the screen. To be fair, I'm scared too. Uh, so two people walk in with two minutes to go wearing a Mario and Luigi hat. I now realize I'm the only person here wearing a Donkey Kong shirt. And I was wearing a, the Donkey Kong Country shirt that was modeled. It's an Etsy bootleg, but it was modeled after the uh, Donkey Kong Country t-shirts that the Rare staff wore um, around the time of the release of Donkey Kong Country. Anyway, uh, I was the only one wearing anything with Donkey Kong on it because I was studying everybody in the theater. Uh, then I said, I hate this. I'm surrounded by people. I wish I were dead. Uh, Nuvi with Maria Menudos just aired a clip of the Mario <laughs> movie, and it was Mario going woohoo, and 30 people in the theater started doing it in unison. I hate this. Uh, <laughs> and then the trailer started, and uh, I had some thoughts about the trailer and what it said about the crowd I was surrounded with. Uh, the Barbie trailer was very funny, and I'm actually looking forward to the movie. However, I feel like it went over this audience's head as nobody laughed. Uh, boy, Elements sure is a Pixar movie. <laughs> the, the Blue Beetle trailer played and a kid just shouted, Is that Batman? <laughs> the new Trolls trailer played and the entire theater erupted in applause. And I, that's where I stopped taking notes because I was too beaten down by the whole experience. So I, I, I just wanted to share that because this is not a normal DK Vine haunt. This is not normally where D, DK Vine or Heil Russell from off DK Vine goes to uh, to do his business, right? Like this felt like an inverse E3 to me because E3 is one of the few times where I really go out and with, with a Ford, you know, face and present DK Vine to the broader public. And E3, it, it's like the welcome mats rolled out for you because you're just surrounded by this nonsense. People may have heard who you are. So it just seems like, yeah, this is just normal. Here, I was surrounded by a bunch of actual normies and I was the freak. And it made me uncomfortable. Anyway, so <laughs> now, that, now that that's out of the way and I can really express the discomfort I felt uh, until the movie started, I wanted to quickly gauge what we all thought about the movie before we really get into spoilers. So, uh, Adam, you have been on the least amount of episodes of The Conversation. Why don't you begin? Sure, I'd love to. Um it's crazy. I think the last time I was on the conversation was um, Ukulele World 2 about six years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, I guess my quick thoughts that we can go into deeper in just a bit. Um, I thought it was good. Um, I don't think I was amazed or blown away, but at the same time went with a bunch of friends, Dustin included, and we all had a fun time. Justin. So I went in with kind of low expectations. I'm not really a big fan of illumination in general. Um, 
like I, I watch a lot of animated movies. That's uh, I'm really into animation in generals and they just have never done it for me. So, uh, you know, I went in and thinking, Oh, this might just be their typical fare. And in some ways it is, but I would still say it's probably my favorite movie from them, mainly just because of the license attached to them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I had a good time. I thought it was fun. Uh, I, I do feel like it could have been better in some parts. Uh, some parts felt kind of rushed. Honestly, I could have used a bit more uh, Brooklyn scenes. I really liked uh, the world they were setting up. And, yeah. uh, you know, I like I like the Mushroom Kingdom stuff, too. But, you know, it's, it's just uh, neat setting up where these characters... Uh, aside of the Mario series that we don't normally see. Sure, sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought it was good overall. Uh, I probably watch it again which is more than i can say for a lot of video game movies yeah uh cameron so like just right out of the gate like i really really enjoyed this movie um like my blanket recommendation is if you're the kind of person who listened to this episode for even a second like yes i highly recommend you see it you will get something (laughs) out of it um i had a really fun time. I think I loved every second Donkey Kong was on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the biggest but about in regards to my overall feeling of the movie is I feel like it, it it's a 90 minute movie and you know I'm glad it's not like overstuffed. It doesn't you know a Mario movie doesn't need to be three hours long but I, I really feel like this movie needed a bit more time to breathe. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll put it this way. Um, before the release of this movie, we spent, we collectively as the conversation, spent several episodes, most uh, longer than the runtime of the movie, um, speculating, okay, we've seen all these scenes in the trailers, Let's try to detective out what the connective tissue between all of these disparate scenes is going to be. How how are they going to get from uh, you know point A to B to C? Uh, the 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 answer is uh, not 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 with much. Yeah. Well, we pretty much called the whole movie, right? I feel like we got most of the breakdown correct. I think the only thing okay. we didn't predict was I, returning to Brooklyn. Like, I feel like we we sussed out the basic outline of the movie yeah. je- for the most part. And just, uh, I think I gave the movie, overestimated just how much it would be fleshed out from there. That said, <laughs> I, what is there, I enjoyed a lot. Um, and, I mean, one thing I do want to give special mention to, um, regard, um, with, with like, some caveats we might bring up later, um, I am super impressed with the score of this movie. Um, Brian Tyler and Koji Kondo, fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want people to think I'm this is going to be negative or anything, because I think we all enjoyed the movie for what it was. And I, I brought this up in my review because... It is kind of a tale of two perspectives. And if you go into this movie with one perspective, you're probably going to hate it. If you go into it as a genuine fan of either Mario 
Donkey Kong or both, you're probably going to really get something out of it, even if it's just a sugar high of seeing and hearing some of this on the screen. And that's fine. Because here's the thing, guys. Turns out I'm a bit of a film snob. Uh, and I, I don't mean like in, in the sense that I am really snooty or I, I really go for things that have an overt pretension to them. Because I quite enjoy fare like the MCU, you know? Even Phase 4, I really enjoyed most of Phase 4. Uh, I, I feel like the last time the MCU really talked down to me was when Joss Whedon was at the wheel. And it, it wasn't until, like, after that that I really got into it. But, you know, I, I think I just generally have high standards when it comes to art, even basic commercial art, and especially when it comes to comedy. And, you know, I knew going into this, right, you know, it's Illumination. I know their reputation. Um, it's the studio behind the Minions. So, <laughs> you know, I, I knew what it was going to be. I just wanted what it was going to be to be done well and have some really excellent fan service. And I feel like we got that. So I gave it a B minus, uh, which means I only liked it marginally less than I liked Clive and Wrench. So there you go. That's some heavy praise from DK Vine. But I feel like there's actually a really good story somewhere in there but as already mentioned the screenplay just doesn't have enough time to tell it you know it's a kids movie and you got to keep it 90 minutes i get that because things have to move fast because kids don't have an attention span and there you could tell like some of the kids the younger kids in the crowd were getting fidgety during some of the longer sequences (laughs) i was like oh damn like settle down uh (laughs) you know but uh I think it, the movie needed at least 30 more minutes to really tell the story they were trying to tell. Maybe even another hour. Um, and that's my real criticism of the screenplay is that for the story they were trying to tell, they needed a lot more time to tell it. And if they couldn't, maybe they needed to pare it down just a little bit. And rather than trying to get everything into your first Mario movie, and I realized they didn't get everything in there, but... I think, and again, this is me being negative at the start, so I can really get into the fun stuff after this. This is just me getting this out of the way. I feel like there was no thematic connection between Mario and Luigi's arc and the plight of the Mushroom Kingdom. It seemed like disparate elements of the screenplay that never really coalesced in a meaningful way. Because Mario and Luigi left their job at Foreman Spikes Construction company to start their own plumbing business to their father's disapproval and i was like wow this is deeper than mario has ever gotten in any anywhere you know and then they get sucked into the mushroom kingdom where bowser has obtained the superstar so he can obtain temporary invincibility and force peach to marry him or else he'll destroy the mushroom kingdom and then mario and luigi get separated luigi is captured by bowser bowser is afraid that mario being a human like peach will make peach want to slide down his flagpole hey oh and then Whoop. some stuff happens and mario and luigi start uh like fighting back they uh they grab the superstar when it falls from bowser's grasp they get invincibility they save the mushroom kingdom and ultimately brooklyn and then they move their plumbing business to the mushroom kingdom so that's all well and good but i just think 
this is me being the screenwriter and me, me, me. I do this with every movie, by the way, so this isn't unique to this movie. But I feel like for the movie's plot to actually tie into Mario and Luigi's journey as characters, they needed to actually save the day with their plumbing expertise to prove their father wrong, to prove everyone wrong, Foreman Spike, right? Like maybe that enormous bonsai bill near the end that Bowser was going to destroy the Mushroom Kingdom with, maybe, um, maybe that's his final kill shot after he's already defeated. Like, oh, you think, you think that's the end of it? And then, you know, this giant bonsai bill comes out and everybody's freaking out. And, and maybe Mario has to work the interdimensional pipes to reroute it back to the Darklands or something. Thing, you know, like Tony Stark at the end of the Avengers, right? Like just just it's screenwriting 101, like have some sort of follow through Chekhov's gun. You don't introduce something and not pay it off. And I don't feel like their plumbing was ever really paid off. But OK, uh, my only other real criticism of the screenplay is actually centered around my favorite part of the movie, which, of course, was the Jungle Kingdom. Because the movie only had 90 minutes, and a significant chunk of that time was spent not in the Mushroom Kingdom, uh, which we're supposed to empathize with and care about, but the movie's version of Donkey Kong Island. So we, we spend very little time in the Mushroom Kingdom in this movie, and I feel like it really just wrecks the pacing. It just feels incredibly off to me. The movie was at its most coherent when we were in the Jungle Kingdom, and I, I feel like because the Jungle Kingdom, there's really less you need to explain. It's a society of super evolved intelligent apes. And I think that's very easy to communicate. Whereas the Mushroom Kingdom had all of these eccentricities that we know well as gamers. But if you're trying to broadcast that into a movie, eh, it, it's, it's a bigger climb. And so I, I think if I were really a screenplay doctor for this movie, I would say, hey, Maybe Donkey Kong shouldn't be in this at all. Uh, because that's what eats up most of the screen time at the expense of everything else. And the, the whole point of even going to the Jungle Kingdom to amass the Kong army was rendered immediately moot. So it's a waste of time, narratively. Um, so it's kind of not the best screenplay. And I would say that the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins is actually better written than this movie. But this movie is far more faithful to the source material. Like I said, it's got that fan service going on. And I think ultimately that's all it really needed to be. That's all Miyamoto really was was hoping it would be. It brings the video games to life in a way that Nintendo fans have never really seen before. And it's got a lot of great bits to it. I... I'm going to give it the Donkey Kong 64 praise here. It's got a lot of great bits that don't really hang well together. Uh, but on the merits, those merits alone, I, I quite enjoyed the movie. And actually, like I said, everything to do with Donkey Kong and the Jungle Kingdom was my favorite part of the movie. Even though I feel like as a screenplay doctor, I would get that stuff out of there to save the movie. So I, I guess it's maybe it's just my Donkey Kong bias speaking where I'm like, yeah, yeah, the best part of the movie was the Donkey Kong movie. You should have just made a Donkey Kong movie, really. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it just some it's just frustrating, you know, as somebody who has kicked around a Mario movie in his head for 35 years, give or take, you know, I would have liked to have seen it rise up to a standard beyond just 
the uh the, the bare minimum illumination kind of um quality control but that being said i had a good time i was pretty jazzed after i left the theater i immediately started playing take on me in the car you know i, I got into it uh I, i'll watch it again for sure and uh i i think that that's the best i could have hoped for when when they announced this movie i think everybody was afraid right and then when they announced donkey kong was going to be in it we were terrified so <laughs> I, I think walking out of it feeling as good as we do that's a win. That's a, that's a win in my book. I'm happy. I'm happy with this. I do want to say, Hyle, um, just touch on a, a lot of the little points you mentioned. Um, I do kind of agree with a lot of what you were saying, uh, definitely in terms of the pacing. Um, very fast-paced. I would even say, like, even for, like, an Illumination film, I feel like everything really goes by quickly, like... I get them wanting to do something being like, hey, this might be our first and only chance to do a Mario movie. We're not sure how well it's going to do. You know, they want to sort of pack in at least everything in there to try and appease all fans at the same time. Like, I definitely could have gone another hour to, you know, 30 minutes having more scenes, you know, maybe an extra scene in the Mushroom Kingdom or an extra scene with, you know, just Donkey Kong and Mario hashing it out. Um, it's funny you mentioned thinking that uh, the 93 version of the movie is better written. I will say, um, I did recently watch both movies side by side, um, and I do think it's funny that I ended up giving them the same rating for, like, different reasons. <laughs> yeah. I I gave them both about three and a half out of five stars um, because I, I do think in retrospect that the 93 movie does a lot of fun things with its premise, despite yeah. it being a little bit more, um, a, a little bit more convoluted towards the end. It gets a little messy, you know? Yeah, like it, well. I'm not. I'm not saying the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993 is great cinema or anything. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I, fe- I feel like just just as a basic screenplay, it succeeds in ways like it makes it makes choices I wouldn't make, but at the very least, it it does sort of tie everything together in a way this movie doesn't, which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah, you know? they brought they brought have say, monkeys in them. <laughs> what I'd say, play is honestly like a point that both movies share is that as much as you can say um, about either as movies, I don't think like you, you, I don't think you can say either one of them are boring movies. They are full of interesting things. Um, Like a lot of the reason people get hung up on the original super Mario brothers movie is it being so divergent from the games it's based on, but that's part of what makes it interesting for me. It's this like sideways, like dystopian look at the, at the Mario franchise. And you just get to kind of like a look and find of, Oh, what did they reinvent in this scene and how did they do it? Um, And same with this movie in that, like I've said, um, the issues I have with it are mainly the it, it is paced a bit like a theme park ride, and well, I still enjoy a theme park ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And, and like, I think I, I don't want people to think, oh, Heil hates the Super Mario Brothers movie. Of course he fucking does. He hated the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. I actually like <laughs> like this. I do recommend it to anybody who is a fan. If if you have never played a Mario game or a Donkey Kong game in your life, then no, I wouldn't recommend this to you. This movie's not for you. But I also think kids might really dig it. Like I I I can't say for sure, but I think like young kids if this is their first exposure to any of this stuff, I think they will be instantly I, made a fan. I, I would I would be begging for a toy for everything in this movie. <laughs> so I have to admit, so <laughs> that's, that's of- interesting. You bring that up, Pyle. Uh, so my nephew has been looking forward to this movie for months now. He's never once played a Mario game. He doesn't know anything about Mario or Donkey Kong. And he's been out of his mind to see this movie. I think, uh, I think, um, his parents are taking him to see it, uh, today or tomorrow. Yeah. So, Speaking of toys, I, I have to admit, I uh, walk a shame time here. <laughs> I bought the $40 Jungle Kingdom Hot Wheels set. I've got it Ooh. up on my floor right now. I don't have space for it. I don't, ha- I don't have a platform to put it on because it's so long. Expandong, am I right? But it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it, like once I get an adequate setup for this, I'm going to surround it with like fake palm trees. And it's, it's, it's the coolest fucking toy I've bought in like a long, long time. I, I mean, I don't buy many toys outside of DKU collectibles. So, but this is just very kinetic and fun. And you, you get to launch the cart through the mouth of the golden temple head. It's really cool. I also, it, I also got the Jack specific Mario figure from this movie just because I really like the sculpt and it comes with a plunger, which is fun. <laughs> I I'm intrigued by the giant Bowser toy they made for the movie because it has like a sort of feature where it emits like steam. Ah, uh, yeah. Like to have his like fire breath. It's kind of neat. But uh, I was surprised just how uh, seeing the movie um, thematic resonant that hot wheels track yeah is. yeah i was like oh it's actually the the thing from the thing they're doing the thing wow uh i i wasn't expecting that we are waiting for actual donkey kong related toys for the marketing because we like we have the jungle kingdom set but it comes with a mario hot wheel and it's like where's the donkey kong where's king cranky kong i i heavily suspect that they've like got a like second post-release wave of toys like in the works and they're just like they held them off for the movie to come out so that well kids will there will be a renewed wave of excitement because people will have seen the movie and will recognize things that happen later in it yeah and, and it looks like the movie might have some financial legs like the the early rotten tomatoes scores weren't promising and granted like you, you can always tell when a studio doesn't want bad critical reviews to slog down a movie because they will wait to screen it for critics up until the last minute, which is what they did for this movie. And I was a little bit nervous because it was like, when are we <laughs> going to get the reviews for the Mario movie? And then it was the day before. And I was like, oh, but um, it, it looks like it's it's doing very well in theaters. There's no negative word of mouth, really. In fact, it's been positive so, word of mouth among fans. So... A friend linked me a tweet the other day, um, and just going by what this tweet says, it says, uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie has the highest global opening ever for an animated movie. Like, just 
any animated movie ever. Sucks to yes. be Lion King. Jesus. <laughs> so I actually have some statistics here, oh. speaking of which. So it is, it is in fact projected to be the biggest worldwide launch for an animated film at $368 million. Uh, just underneath that is Frozen 2 at $358 million. Then we've got a little bit of a disparity between two and three with The Lion King at 245 million, Toy Story 4 at 244 million, and finally Incredibles 2 at 235 million. So Mario's just going to steamroll all of them. Well, there's a difference between opening and having, you know, theatrical legs. So we'll we'll, yeah. see, we'll see what happens, but right now it's looking very good for a sequel and a potential Donkey Kong movie that's been rumored. So, you know, uh, I, I don't think ever anybody has to worry about that. And I was like I was thinking my thoughts in my journal before the movie started. You know, it's kind of great because Mario is, is basically at front and center of all of this, the marketing, the, the name of the movie, the plot, but you know, Donkey Kong gets the exposure without any of the risk. And and now maybe we can reap some of the benefits of that, which we'll discuss a little bit later in the episode. Mm-hmm. So we do have another staffer who called in. And this time it was Gibbon. She, uh, she, she called in with her thoughts. And uh, I don't think she's doing a lame bit like Jeff. I love you, Jeff. <laughs> but what the fuck? Uh, so uh, we're, we're going to play her call. And then we're going to really get into the meaty spoiler discussion that everybody has been wanting from us. So let's hear what she has to say. Hello, this is Gibbon, and I'm calling in to give some brief thoughts on the Super Mario Bros. movie. I saw it opening day, uh, middle of the day, theater was pretty full but there were still some empty seats here and there but it was the middle of the workday. overall i really enjoyed it it was fun and satisfying for the most part really zippy everything just sort of paced along really quickly i felt the film maybe could have used just even just 10 more minutes to let scenes breathe a little maybe build up uh character interpersonal dynamics a little bit more but overall, it was fine. Um, kind of light on substance, incredibly straightforward, nothing super deep or anything. Themes were pretty much worn on its sleeve. But yeah, just incredibly fun. Lighthearted, fun, romp, adventure. No scene felt like it went on for too long. Uh, nothing was super cringeworthy or dumb. It was all just fun. I enjoyed the variable where's waldo of oh i recognize that thing and i know that reference and hey there's that tune from that one game and it was just all pretty good uh lots of little sequel hooks and stuff um i loved all the shout outs to mario of all media not just the games i loved the the um the jingle that was used in the plumbing ad from the Super Show. I loved them doing the little hand thing that's sort of like what's done in the live-action film from the 90s. I I loved just all the little calls and shout-outs to both the, uh, like the NES and Super Nintendo and arcade games, but also the more recent games. I liked the Luma being there and Mayor Pauline and... Just 
yeah, it was it was a celebration of Mario and related topics. Um, I was a little worried about how the voice cast was going to go. Not Chris Pratt. I thought he'd do fine, and he did. Um, I was more worried about Seth Rogen because I tend to only hear Seth Rogen when he's on screen, but he did really well here. Uh, just effortlessly got lost in his character, and um, yeah, yeah, I think. It was really satisfying near the end when Luigi got his moment, when Luigi got his big partner moment. That's when it became the Super Mario Bros. movie, really, because he'd been sidelined for a lot of film. That's really my only major complaint, is that he didn't get a lot to do, but I'm really glad he got his his bro moment at the end, where they they became a team, and they defeated Bowser together. That was really good. Um... I thought maybe he could have done with, like, I don't know, an escape attempt in the middle of the film. Maybe it didn't need to work. He could have ended it back up in the cage. But just something to show that he had some some character development going on in the B-plot. Because um, there really wasn't a B-plot. They just occasionally flashed to, to the prison <laughs> to check in on people. But other than that, yeah. Fun movie. Looking forward to the next one. Whatever the next one is, I know the stinger was like Yoshi, but we've also heard talk of Donkey Kong and like a Luigi's Mansion uh, film was floated in some interviews, and I I think I'd like all of those, honestly. Yeah. Anyway, yep, that has been Gibbon, and those are my thoughts. Bye bye Thank you for the call, Gibbon. Ciao. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, I, I think we're all pretty much on the same page then, I, I, I think, uh, as far as our thoughts on the movie. You know, Gibbon had some quibbles with it that we haven't brought up, but I, I would agree Luigi kind of got a raw deal for most of the movie. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm glad it wasn't Peach who, who spent the majority of the time in a cage. I mean, that was a refreshing yeah. change, and it- it's not what you want to do with your one woman you know it, in, in the movie in in 2023 but it, it, it's really i kind of had the same issue with luigi but again i think it just comes back to this movie could have used more runtime like give, give like luigi one more buffer scene of like running around the dark lands trying to survive yeah yeah, yeah we barely got any of the, i thought there was going to be this whole like uh s- sequence of him like running through, you know, getting chased by booze or something, and and we really didn't get that. He just got grabbed pretty quickly, and it's like, all, all right, like it felt like they were obviously going for an homage to Luigi's Mansion, but we never really got there. And, and to the movie's credit, that opening scene of him running for his life is wonderful. Yeah, I loved yeah. every second of it, but it just made me want more. Yeah. I, I think too, like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's just get into it because let, let's break it down, I think, by character appearance and the context of their appearance. And we'll start, let's just start with Brooklyn, okay? Well, I know there was the whole scene with the penguins, but we saw most of that in the trailer. You know, I don't right. think we need to really kick that around again. So let's get into the Brooklyn stuff. Chris Pratt's Mario and Charlie Day's Luigi, which, yeah, you know, look, I, you know, thoughts aside on Chris Pratt and and the kind of dude he's kind of become since becoming a Hollywood A-lister, all that aside, 
I thought Chris Pratt was going to do a, a pretty good job as Mario for the kind of Mario I knew they were going to go for in this movie. And, you know, right out of the gate, I thought it was a really clever way to ease viewers into Chris Pratt's Mario, who have only ever heard Charles Martinet's Mario by having that be this, uh, this, this put on he does in his commercials as part of his brand. Like, oh, oh, oh I'm the pizza box man. Oh, oh, oh. and then, <laughs> and then you see the commercial with him doing that. And that it's just like, oh, but here's the real Mario. I thought that was like actually one of the smartest little conceits of the movie. And, I, I think that should have done the trick for anybody on the fence. Like, I can't accept a Mario who doesn't sound like a Mickey Mouse by way of, uh, you know, pizzeria owner, um, corporate mascot. I, I, I thought it was great. And I thought Chris Pratt did a really good job of grounding Mario and sort of hearkening back to the Captain Lou, Bob Hoskins mode for the character. Yeah, um... For me, like, even when they announced uh, Chris Pratt as Mario, I wasn't that ups- I wasn't as upset as some other people were, mainly because Mario's such a, like, nothing character anyway that I don't really care what you... Yeah. Like, if you're doing anything with him, then that's, like, more than you're usually getting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... Ugh. We, we pretty much called, like, why they cast him as Chris Pratt right away. Like, we knew what they were going to go for. I think we were right on the money for most of the stuff for this movie. I, I'm pretty proud yeah. of our predictive abilities. I think even Jeff predicted that Mario wouldn't like mushrooms. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be a thing, like, he would have to get over. Like, oh, I hate mushrooms. And sure enough, it was there on screen. Uh, like, some of the stuff we predicted, like, we, we said, like, oh, he'll be Super Mario because... Going into the Mushroom Kingdom will grant him like Superman-like jumping abilities. That was that was had nothing to do with anything. But I thought it was really cute that they like established like, well, it's Super Mario Brothers plumbing because they're wearing capes and like doing a really bad like Superman bit in their ad. That's that's really cute. I like that. Yeah, and uh, Charlie Day's Luigi, I thought was great. Uh, like, it, it seems like a weird kind of pull for Charlie Day, who has a very particular mode of character he plays, uh, which is just Charlie from It's Always Sunny in, in different, like, levels of volume. But, uh, it, it worked for this kind of nervous, panicked, anxiety-riddled version of Luigi, which, uh, to be fair, has been the take that Luigi's kind of gone towards since Luigi's Mansion in the game. So it never felt, like, tonally off. I would have just liked to have spent more time with them, you know? Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I think one of the problems that we... Uh, going back a little bit to talking about what Jem was mentioning with them, um, I know I've seen a lot of people's problems... Um, being that obviously for most of the movie, the Super Mario Brothers are obviously split apart. And it's interesting, like, obviously they did this because they didn't want Peach to be the one that had been kidnapped. At the same time, I also saw it presented like, did we need someone kidnapped? Like, sort of script doctoring it, being like, Bowser's already, like, a threat. He's already... As a power star, he's ready to take over the Mushroom Kingdom. So why does anybody really need to be kidnapped at this point? 
I so, I think it just gives Mario a reason to be more invested in Peach's whole deal. Like, not saying Mario is like such an asshole that he wouldn't help out at all, but it, it gives Mario some sort of plot reason to be there helping out rather than just being asked. Also, yeah, just yeah. as like a a script writing thing, I understand why they split the split the cast the way they did because. You know, Mario and Luigi are the the fish out of water in this story, and what you need is when you have a fish out of water is somebody who just intrinsically knows the lay of the land and can walk them through it, and that's what Peach is in this movie. Oh yeah, um, I was to- to- Toad's a little too high energy to fill that role. <laughs> um, I, I was just sort of bringing that up as something I had seen. Like I, I definitely right. get why they did, but it, it it's definitely one of those things where there definitely could have been maybe at least another scene There's, with Charlie days, Luigi to like give uh, him something. Ag- agreed. I think it all comes down to just like, we needed more time with Luigi and that could have been just, just one more scene of him not in the cage. Really? Yeah. Um, like he could have been in peril and still separated from Mario and needing help the entire time, but um, I think we, we talked about how again this movie is pacing. The thing I was most surprised by, where I thought like, oh, something really could have gone here, was uh, so in the movie Luigi is captured, and then not long after we see him, we find out that Bowser knows about Mario and wants answers and pulls and Luigi gets pulled in to be interrogated. And I felt like just there needed to be something in between there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was rushed. Like the whole thing was just like, can, can we have some breathing room? And I understand why they don't like, I'm not expecting this to be Peter Jackson's super Mario brothers movie where we get the four hour extended cut you know, I, I as delightful as that would be, I understand why that's just ludicrous for uh, a kids movie made by Illumination. But yeah, it was just it, again. There's, I think they were trying to do way too much, and I don't know if it was. This might be our only shot to do a Super Mario Brothers movie, and it, we got it. We have to get all of the elements in there, not just from Super Mario Brothers, the series proper, but. Mario Kart, and by Mario Kart, then we've got to get Donkey Kong in there, and and kind of tip our hat to the arcade origins of both. It, and it's funny looking at Illuminations like filmography up to this point because they usually, in, in terms of other IPs they worked on, they've usually had the opposite problem, which is they've been adapting Doctor Seuss stories, which are. You know, le- less than 24 pages of children's <laughs> book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I-, I think, Dustin, you said that the Brooklyn part was some of your favorite parts of the movie, where, because it just felt so unique that we so rarely, like, since the early 90s, we really haven't seen this context of Mario and Luigi living in Brooklyn, running a struggling plumbing business. You know, like, the, the pre-Mushroom Kingdom stuff always fascinated me as a kid watching the super show when I took that at face value as the canon, right? Like, because I I was like, you know, Mario and Luigi before they went to the mushroom kingdom, I want to know more. 
uh, because I felt like that was my window to understanding them as people. Even as a little kid, I wanted to know more about characters uh, before Donkey Kong Country even. So I really, really dug this whole part of the movie. Like, I was like, yeah, this movie's great. Wow. Uh, and, you know, right away we got the, the, the little Charles Martinet cameo, which, I don't know, it, it was obvious, but I'm glad it was in, in there. It was cute enough. I will say I'm I expected like I expected Charles Martinet to get like the oh he he's gonna get the cynical like he'll show up for two seconds to do a character who just sounds exactly like game Mario yeah. and that'll be it. Or he'll be because Charles Martinet has a lot more range than people give him credit for. Right. Um he'll be like another side character not doing the Mario voice that you like might be a little bit ambiguous if it's him or not for people, if they aren't familiar with what he can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad the movie did both. Um, Having him as um, the guy in the pizzeria who just looks like an elder, like an older version of Mario, who is a, he's credited under the name Giuseppe Giuseppe. (laughs) Um, But um, is that a reference to something? Italians, <laughs> Pinocchio. <laughs> like I, I don't like. Is, is there any significance to him being named Giuseppe? I don't think so. I think he just needed a name. I, I, I'll I'll need the chat to explain to me if there is. Okay. Um, I'm out of my depth on that. All but right. um, just... he he also played Mario's father. Yeah, which yeah. I was really pleasantly surprised by. Yeah, like like when we said like Brooklyn gave us a look at their life that we so rarely, so seldom get to see, uh, especially in the video games, which we've never really gotten into. But, like, everything in Brooklyn, I just loved all the little details. Like, Punch-Out Pizzeria, where you see, like, the the frame pictures of Lil Mac and, uh, like, his title wins on the walls. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cute. Like, already we're building a buddy Nintendo cinematic universe here. Uh, little little references there, and of course, Foreman Spike was there, and we like we d- we didn't spend a lot of time with Foreman Spike, but you know, you you establish that Mario and Luigi left his company to form their own plumbing business, and he's salty about it. Which is, you know, I I don't know if they ever really certifiably said in the games that this was Mario and Luigi's job, Wrecking Crew, before Mario Brothers. Uh, so it's just nice to see that connection being made explicitly in this piece of media. And then, of course, you know, little background nods to Pauline we saw on a TV. Uh, and I, I wondered if this was going to be it early on. It was like a blink and you'll miss it little reference to Pauline being elected mayor or reelected mayor, maybe. And I was like, is that it? Is that going to be it for references to Pauline? But she later appears in a, in a bigger appearance on the TV uh, talking about the the issues plaguing Brooklyn. And uh, so, you know, I, I liked all of that. Was the uh, French restaurant that we saw a couple times a reference to Duck Hunt? Yeah, I I think I remember seeing like the Duck Hunt duck uh, pop up a couple times. There's yeah. a there's a lot of just fun Easter eggs in all of Brooklyn. And I like to to Hal's point about like creating a broader like a Nintendo universe. I like the clear dividing line of like what is fictional in universe and what is real, because all of the punch out stuff seems to be like 
this is this is in universe like the these like professional boxers are in Mario's universe, which makes sense because you know he was the referee in Punch Out. And but Donkey Kong um, uh, fought fought him in uh, Punch Out two thousand nine. Yeah, but uh, things like things like um, Star Fox, things like with like there's a little toy R wing in Mario's room. Oh, um, I never noticed that. There's a there's a balloon fight guy on like a as like the mascot of I think a car wash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the family with the with Francis the dog has a like a crystal statue of a Pikmin. Like just a lot of, and just a lot, a very clear dividing line, but like having a lot of fun in like, in ways that feel pretty natural, like indulgent, but natural, like indulgent in a way I appreciate a lot. And, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty prominently Mario plays Kid Icarus. Um, yeah, I felt bad for all of the Kid Icarus fans out there that like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fictional. That's just an NES game. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Pit's not going to um, show up in this. <laughs> yeah, I, there was a bit on the promotional website for this movie where you, like, if you navigated to a certain page, you'd hear the Kid Icarus game over music. Oh, okay. And that was really confusing to me at the time, because I'm thinking, what possible context is that going to play? And it was to show Mario in the depths of his depression playing Kid Icarus and failing at it. And uh, I, I think that was the perfect thematic choice, because I think Kid Icarus has, like, a uniquely, like pathetic game over screen for mario to have rubbed in his face with pit saying i'm finished it does make it, ma- it makes mario it makes mario really relatable because i'm also really bad at kid icarus it, it does make you wonder what year this movie takes place in if it if it takes place in the 80s or if mario just is so like behind the times that he still plays his nes in his, in He's his a retro bedroom gamer. yeah um also, what's Nintendo's mascot in this right. universe? Yeah, is, 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 it, is it Pit? Is, is Kid Icarus their major franchise, considering well, that Mario, Punch-Out, Donkey Kong, they all, like, are actual characters, and there's no metatextual, like, rare level. Oh, they're real, but they're also video games. Well, in the Punch-Out pizzeria, um, Charles Martinet's character is playing Jumpman. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe and you can Jump- see on the side... That there's a Donkey Kong XB too, who's like an abominable snowman. So yeah, maybe maybe there's a uh, Jumpman and Eddie the Mean Old Yeti are the big, <laughs> uh, big Nintendo mascots in this universe. But uh, yeah, I, I I liked it, and let me tell you, I grinned so wide underneath my face mask uh, because I was terrified of catching germs uh, when Mario came home to his family's house and we saw his family oh my god because we we got a taste that this might be coming because of that super mario brothers plumbing website their only good review or or really good review was left by their mom and you know i mentioned that the super show briefly had an appearance by mario's mom which was captain lou and drag but you know it was like we've never we've never seen mario's mom like yoshi's island suggest that they live in the mushroom kingdom and we but they're but they're unseen and yeah we we get mario's big old italian family here 
And look, we don't have names for them. I don't think I, I didn't I didn't pay attention in the credits enough to see if they were actually given uh, character names. But I'm going to call their father Daddy-O. And I'm going to call <laughs> their mother Mama Mia. I think that's that, perfect. Those are good it would names. give context as to why he says that a lot. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I loved it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, we have a, we have a character arc here. Uh, his family is disappointed in him. There was a few moments in this movie, and I think this is the strongest one, where I just kind of think to myself, like, is this allowed? Are, are they allowed to do this? Yeah, yeah, this seems <laughs> verboten, right? This seems like something that Miyamoto would like put his foot down and say, no, we can never see Mario's family. No, uh, it just, just like one of those George Lucas, like, bizarre rules that no, 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 like... There can't be any Wookiee Jedi there, you know, and, and no, we, we got it and it was great. And I like, I would be fine if these characters became canonical characters in the games. I, I want to know more about them. I would also say like, we, we've talked on the conversation before about like the whole, the whole like idea of like Miyamoto supposedly thinking of Mario as being in his, being like in, around the age of like 25 uh-huh. or 23 or just, just in, in his early to mid twenties and how for those of us like who grew up entrenched in the super show era and the era of the 93 movie, that seems a little bit off because you kind of think of him as this like older schlub. Yep. Um, yeah. Between the context of this movie gives of, Mario having to like Mario having to prove himself to his family and like take after like Luigi being treated as kind of like the baby brother and as well as Chris Pratt and Charlie Day's performances. This is the most I've ever bought the idea of Mario being that young. Yeah. Yeah. Having a family really uh, helps. I I I think it worked and I think it kind of blended the two interpretations really well where he can be this average blue collar schlub who you know doesn't have any great aspirations other than to be his own boss um but he's he's still on the younger side here he's 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 trying to earn the approval of his uh family and you know you kind of sort of trade in some stereotypical tropes here of the you know italian american immigrant family who you know very disapproving, very like, you know, old school. And, uh, all that being said, though, I thought it worked and I thought it was a perfect marriage between the two takes. And I, I too was surprised. I was like, okay, Miyamoto, I kind of see what you're saying now. You just never explained it to me like this. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was kind of cool to, to see. And of course, this is sort of an origin story. So you can kind of also just accept that. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a younger Mario. He's, he's not, you know, he hasn't matured into the, the, the Mario from my childhood that I remember yet. So it, it just worked either way. I do wonder what, like the sort of official age disparity between Mario and Luigi are in this movie, considering we get a flashback to, with them and they both seem pretty much similar ages they're both i'm not ages, sure if yeah. it's like maybe by like a couple of days or months but like the scene with baby a couple Mario days baby how Luigi. would that work <laughs> it's a long labor 
But yeah, we we, I mean, we, we, we played Yoshi's Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, we, we... No, I, I was surprised that we got the little cameo by baby Luigi and baby Mario in that flashback. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't expect to see them considering what that conjures up as far as Yoshi's it's... Island and... It's the first time maybe ever I've seen baby Mario and Luigi and thought, aw. <laughs> well, okay. So was anybody else, when they when that scene started and that bully was knocking over baby Luigi's fake Lego castle, was anybody else thinking, is that bully Wario? Is that supposed to... Because, you know, yeah, Wario was a childhood nemesis of Mario, according to Super Mario Land 2. And so I, I'm thinking, is this our Wario cameo? And no, I don't think it was supposed to be, but that's I, where my I mind wish. went. Yeah. I, I, I may I will... be misremembering. Was the kid Spike? I can't remember. Oh, maybe it was. Or if it was just a generic kid. But it definitely I mean, wasn't Wario. He did have I the think... sunglasses. I do think it was a generic kid. And very quickly, I will say, one of my main problems with the Brooklyn section of the movie, um, just like, it's, it might just be a personal thing, maybe a nitpick, but um, any characters that aren't, like, principal Mario characters that are just sort of, like, filler characters to fill out, like, the Brooklyn setting, I feel... They are way more heavily modeled, just like sort of after generic illumination looking characters than they yeah. are the Mario style. And that just that that was the one thing about the Brooklyn section that really bugged me because it's like, oh, these characters, these background characters that I'm seeing, like these are just characters that you'd see in Despicable Me or the Lorax or the pets in the Secret Life of Pets. Well, the, and it was yeah, Francis the dog in particular really just reminded me of one of those dogs from the Secret Life of yeah. Pets. That that whole like scene in the movie was the most that. Like to the, to the film's credit, I never really got the feeling like, oh, this is an Illumination movie with Mario characters in it. Like that really didn't enter my head, except in that scene. That was yeah. the most Illumination scene, I will say, in the movie. It was. It was. Nice. You know, there was fun stuff in it, but yeah, the characters are a little bit distracting just because, like. Well, they're, they're original characters to the movie that don't have any connection to who we know. It, it, it was nice to have their, um, their, their plumbing patrons to be a family of color, just because it's, so, it's something we so seldom see in Mario games. And so, it, and, I mean, it's just, it just a very, like, undiverse group of characters. And so it's just it, nice to be able to get it, that in there, what, because we're not going to get it in the Mushroom Kingdom. For yeah. sure. And... It, to the movie's credit, this is, like, one of the few times they actually do, like, seed something to pay off later, which is you get to seed Luigi being afraid of the dog. Yeah, which makes him kind of pathetic a little bit, because it wasn't even that fierce of a dog. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was like, well, they're really overdoing it with Luigi's fear here. But, I mean, I think Charlie Day helps sell it, because just Charlie Day had that manic energy that really just makes you buy that, okay, this guy is just just this far um, in the weeds of his anxiety. Yeah, anyways, I, I did definitely like what they did with that scene. At the same time, I do wish the characters were definitely modeled more in line with 
like Mario and Luigi's design as well as like their family. Yeah, it, it's yeah. just one of those things that sticks out to me. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm definitely glad the the family look closer to Mario and Luigi. They're the ones who are like the more important it, characters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I like the the whole thing with them inadvertently causing the flooding that that um, eventually you know that night it starts flooding the streets of Brooklyn. Um, I, I like the sequence. I thought it was it was funny, especially when you know the the couple walks in and Mario's got the dog by the, like the plunger over the toilet. It just just you know they're like they're just completely <laughs> hapless. They're they're just uh, through through a series of misfortunate events, not of their own doing. You know they they just completely uh, screwed the pooch, so to speak, and. Um, <laughs> You know, then that causes them to investigate the or or try to stop the flooding that's taking over Brooklyn. And then that that gets them into the sewers where we get this little bit of an homage to the original Mario Brothers. Um, I I am curious if anybody else like had this sort of like um, moment where they were proven wrong by the movie. When this whole sequence with the flooding started, did anybody else think like the source of the problem was going to be revealed like something from the mushroom kingdom bleeding over because like i again i was like keeping an eagle eye on like all the stuff in the background the entire time and um if you pay attention to the news ticker on one of the one of the televisions it mentions reports of crabs coming out of the sewers. Oh, really? Oh. See, I, I was expecting there to be some sort of, like, crossover. Like, characters would be coming through. Like, uh, you know, it's Chris Pratt said, Koopas, you know, uh, they got to <laughs> stomp. Uh, just, I, I thought we were going to get a more overt homage to, to the Mario Brothers game. Uh, which, you know, fans, I think, have long interpreted to be uh, the predecessor to Super Mario Brothers, like what happens to get them from one world to the next if you buy that interpretation of the canon. So uh, it, it it was surprising that there was none of that, that they just went into the sewer, they basically solved the problem, and then they kept investigating. Or did they solve the problem? I can't remember. Did they fix the plumbing or did they no, just... They- yeah, I don't remember a moment where they fixed it. Okay, all right. They were, they were trying to fix it, but then it just, like, burst, and they, like, fell through, like, a waterfall. See, you think that would have also been a Chekhov's gun, then, to tie back the flooding to their ultimate victory over Bowser. Anyway, like, waterboard him or something. But, <laughs> yeah, like, they, they, they just keep going deeper and deeper, and it's never really explained why there is this portal this gateway and did anybody else like think that the infrastructure of the sewer system accounted for this like maybe like i was getting ghostbusters 2 vibes here where i was like is this some sort of like uh supernatural thing that the architects of new york had like in mind when they built the the sewer system here um i i don't know I mean, I, d- I got the impression, especially since they burst through a brick wall to get into the segment with the green pipe, that this was sort of a, like, walled-off, like, condemned area they were in. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's never really explained why there is this interdimensional Which, gateway. 
Which honestly, like that part, I'm fine. I don't need an explanation for that. I, I yeah, guess yeah. not. No, what, it's, it's what Alice are they going to say? It's Alice in Wonderland. You know, you don't need uh, a reason why Wonderland exists. That is one reason I did like the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993, though, is there's this whole bit about like divergent realities and how uh like the meteor that killed the dinosaurs actually split the timeline and created dido hat and like that that's that's clever and you know we don't need that here but i i do miss that sense of like uh, backwards thinking world building like how do we make this make sense within the context of the story we're telling but anyway yeah i i was just disappointed wrapping up the brooklyn stuff i was disappointed that there wasn't anything to pay off the new donk city graffiti that we saw in the promo images because one of our theories that was proven wrong was that maybe there's going to be escaped gorillas and monkeys from the zoo and then that was going to actually cause some of the some of the issues that takes them from uh, the surface to the sewer. Like, we thought we were going to get an actual homage to the arcade Donkey Kong in Brooklyn, and I think all we got is when they were doing the sort of 2D side-scrolling running sequence, and we saw some, like, red girders in the background of the construction site, but we never really yeah. got anything. And, and Pauline being the mayor, but she's kind of like... she She's just a cameo. She kind of has, like, no relevance to the plot of the movie or any of these characters no. in the context she shows up in. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't really expecting Pauline to get nabbed by a gorilla and then the gorilla falls through the interdimensional gateway and by rule of the yeah, there, there's too much for the movie to juggle as is it's yeah. just yeah it was fun to see her we can we can move on yeah yeah i mean and, and again like you're trying to jam pack over 40 years of history into 90 minutes and I, I think i think they went a little bit too far in trying to get as much in there as they did and it didn't really leave enough space for everything but i am glad that pauline did get recognition i'm glad that these elements of the pre-super mario brothers history did get uh, reference like uh, Foreman Spike that's such a pull uh, considering you know that uh, it, it's really cool to see and it's just surprising that nothing Donkey Kong really considering that was Mario's origin point other than like the Jumpman arcade game you know there was no real acknowledgement that Donkey Kong came first which is which is both confusing and also kind of cool that in the context of the movie it's the Donkey Kong country stuff that takes precedent over everything else and we don't even really need the arcade stuff aside from, you know, utilizing the red girders in the Ring of Kong later on. But, yeah. Um, anyway, they, they, they fall through the portal. I did like this sequence of, like, the, the, the maze of pipes and, uh, like, each pipe going to a different like, realm or uh, area. Like, it's a bit confused what this world is and how connected this world is. Like, the the way this was presented, are these going to different dimensions, or is it all the same place and just different places in the same place? What is this gateway with the pipes that seems like it's some sort of infrastructure that's that's built to support this? But anyway, Luigi goes through the pipe to the Darklands, Mario goes through the pipe to the Mushroom Kingdom, and um, they're split up for most of the movie from that point on. So before we get into the Mushroom Kingdom, I want to discuss Bowser and, and the Koopa Troop and their portrayal in the movie, particularly Jack Black's Bowser. So, like, I don't really have a lot to say about Jack Black's Bowser. I liked Jack Black's Bowser. It was Jack Black as Bowser. It was exactly what you would expect. 
And they gave him ample space to do his thing. Like, literally, they just devoted an entire sequence to him singing a song, uh, (laughs) being Jack Black, which was the most crowd-pleasing part in my theater. Like, everybody loved that. And I was like, you know, I guess you got to have it. But um, it's surprising just to see, like, the concessions made for the English voice cast you know, knowing this movie's going to be localized across the world, specifically Japan, and, like, to just, like, have Jack Black in mind around all aspects of this character. It it was funny that there's sort of, like, a contradiction in how I feel about Bowser in this movie, which is, he is Jack Black as Bowser, and I'm fine with that, because I enjoy Jack Black. He's charming and funny. Yeah, but that's where I'm at. But also, um... At least of the the most prominent characters in this movie, like I, I'd say this is true of Luigi as to a, mostly as well. But I think as far as like re- the the more prominent movers and shakers in this story, Bowser felt the character most like true to the character as I understand yep. him in the games. Yep, which is this <laughs> lovesick. It, childlike goofball yeah like uh, i i think bowser in this movie he he was intimidating at times but he was also just this uh this mess this this complete mess and uh (laughs) i said in my review that i feel like bowser was the most true character from game to screen from game to big screen than anybody else in this movie. Like, I was like, yeah, that's Bowser. I feel like there's the least amount of adjustments made to him. And it's weird because, yeah, he's it's just Jack Black. Like, in our uh, live stream, John Tessier says, I actually felt he was the least believable as this character out of the whole cast, just sounded too much like himself. And I'll agree with that, but I'd say the paradox for me is it seemed to work for his character. And for me, it felt like Bowser. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't necessarily think Jack Black just sounding like himself is that far from a fitting voice for Bowser anyway. I mean, the same was true for me with Seth Rogen and DK. Like, yes, this is just how these people normally sound for the most part, but I fully buy it. I don't look at this character on screen and be distracted by the fact that it's Jack Black the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, I would even say that Jack Black does kind of like change his voice a little bit. I mean, you definitely he, still have moments where you can hear Jack Black, but at the same time, he's doing a much more like deeper throated thing. It is. It's like like a bit deeper and gruffer. I can't tell if it's like pitched down or he's just like going to a deeper place himself, but it is definitely like modulated a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, like Jack Black has range. I mean, you have to have range when you, you know, a lot of your comedic output is faux rock operatic, you know, um, songs. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, he could have maybe pulled it off even without any uh, tricks of editing. Yeah, one thing I think is interesting is uh, this is one of the few times that Jack Black plays a villain. I don't recall him doing very many. Uh, he's usually like, like, look at Kung Fu Panda. They usually have him as like. Never ending story three. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Never ending story three uh, is the other one I was thinking of. Uh, in Clone High, he plays a villain. Those are like the only other times. Otherwise, he's usually like 
a, a goof, a goofy main character like in Kung Fu Panda. Uh, so this is, it, it's interesting hearing him play someone whose voice does need to be so deep and evil sounding. Shallow Hal, he was just too shallow. <laughs> that's true. But he, but he overcomes it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a, a villain to hero piece. I got it. Um, a redemption arc. Yeah. I, I did like the way the whole uh, like, litany of Bowser's forces were portrayed in this movie. Like, I, I thought it was it was cool to see so many of these characters in a lot more explicit detailing than we're used to in the games. Like, even down to yeah. the shy guys. The shy guys had, like... I, I couldn't tell if, like, it was their skin or if it was, like, implied to be some sort of, like, cloak they were wearing. But there's definitely a little bit more texture to to the uh, the, the pinkiness of them. The, the gooey, yeah. gooey red bits. Um, yeah, so, like, I, I just enjoyed seeing, like... Everybody, the whole sequence with the dry bones, like Luigi and, and the reanimating dry bones. I like that. I thought Luigi should have been more freaked out. I thought a lot of characters should have been more freaked out. I think the only time any character really had the appropriate response was Mario initially with Toad. But I like Luigi, like that's that's basically a zombie, right? It's it's a zombified skeleton you got there, <laughs> Luigi. You've never seen this before in your life. You you were afraid of a dog, and instead you just do this victory <laughs> celebration when you... Yeah, the, the movie sets Luigi up as a coward, but, like, <laughs> name me one person who wouldn't be terrified in that situation. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I, I think, like, he, he has the, this moment where he thinks, like, he ran into it and just destroyed it, and he's, like, jubilant over that. I'd be like, holy fucking shit, where am I? <laughs> that, is a, that is a skeleton turtle that came after me. I was I was terrified of a dog just a day like earlier this day. <laughs> I like this I I should be passing out right now and pissing myself in fright. I don't know. Uh I I I thought like that that was that was an issue throughout the movie like when everybody came to Brooklyn at the end, why isn't there mass hysteria going on over this giant demon turtle and this anthropomorphic gorilla? Uh, people we were just like accepting it and i was like this breaks the reality just a little bit in my mind ah whatever it's fine um what was there any 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 other particular points of bowser or the or the the dark lands that really uh jumped out at you um uh, i wish there were more like I liked the scenes with Bowser, but it felt uh, a little light. But I guess you could say that about, like, just about everything, since I had to cram so much in. Uh, Kamek is a lot of fun. Oh, um, yeah. I I like the very, like, sort of, like, cartoony skit humor they do between him and Bowser. Yeah, yeah Kamek was great. Very, very like, uh, tried-and-true sort of villain and lead henchman energy, whether it's, you know... Dr. Frankenstein and his assistant. Pretty or... pretty unique voice for Kevin Michael Richardson, too. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it's it's like it felt like a not an obvious voice, but just a voice you would associate with Kamek. It never felt like that's a different take, like with Cranky Kong, which we'll get into. Yeah. Uh it it, it was like uh yeah, that's that I, I buy that as Kamek for sure. 
Yeah, just like big props to Kevin Michael Richardson. I think he like nailed all his scenes. And, you know, obviously it's another thing where like I kind of wish we did have a little bit more Kamek. But the two, but the couple of scenes we have of him are great. You know, when he's uh, playing the piano with Bowser and he just like slams it onto his hands. And also when. when he's uh practicing uh proposing to peach obviously that was a great scene i think one of my favorite jokes in the film was kamek asking if he could lift the piano lid off his fingers and bowser telling him no (laughs) (laughs) and of course the piano had the name ludwig von koopa written across it which makes me wonder like is that an actual character in the movies or is that like just like did does bowser have eight children in this movie, nine children, 14 yeah. children. It, it's a lingering question I have for the sequels with that could, they could explore, which is like, what are the Kooplings in this universe? Yeah. 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 Um, I want to move over to the mushroom kingdom, but really quick in the live stream, uh, there, there's some good info that we need to share. I think, uh, superstar X alien one, six, nine, uh, linked to an interview, where it said that uh, Mario's mom and dad were actually designed by Nintendo. Oh, nice. So that, that explains why they were more on model than everybody else in Brooklyn. That, that wasn't a pre-existing Nintendo character. And that makes, makes me have a little hope. Maybe that, uh, we'll show up in Mario Kart tour. Let's get daddy. O and, uh, mama Mia in Mario uh, Kart tour. And Mario's uncle, who I don't think we have a name for either. I just know he's played by John DiMaggio. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, well, I think it also goes to show just how more hands-on Nintendo was with this project than maybe we originally thought. You know, aside from just, like, approving maybe day-to-day stuff and, like, storylines and stuff. Like, right. they kind of got into the trenches. You know, they heard, like, oh, we maybe want to do something with Mario and his family. And Nintendo was sort of like, all right, we'll hash out some models for those. Yeah, they didn't just say, no, you can't do that. Mario was uh, born by a stork. <laughs> the end. We're shutting down that little narrative. Uh, called a sack. It was made at the Yoshi factory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into the Mushroom Kingdom because uh, th- this is where we didn't spend a lot of time. I was shocked at how little time we spent in the Mushroom Kingdom. Even after they got back from the Jungle Kingdom, we didn't spend a lot of time in the Mushroom Kingdom because we just went back to Brooklyn then. This, 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 is, this is just baffling to me how little we got to really soak in the Mushroom Kingdom. We only saw this little village underneath peach's castle just a little bit right um yeah but uh yeah i don't know i i have to say keegan michael key's toad really worked for me in a way i wasn't expecting i didn't think it was going to do a bad job or anything but it's just like toad eh, whatever like toad has been so cemented in my mind for so long as hi i'm toad that to have a new take that was it was kind of a blend between the mushroom retainer of the early games, this loyal manservant or, or you know, whatever to to Princess Toadstool Peach and the more adventurous Captain Toad of recent years. I like that we kind of got a mix between the two. To, to the point that he even has Captain Toad's light motif yeah. playing in the background. 
Uh, I was surprised that he wasn't already working for Peach at the beginning of the movie. He was just kind of a drifter, I guess, uh, who happened upon Mario. Like, I, I thought he was just going to be already be, like, Peach's right hand. And instead, uh, he kind of, like, builds up to that role as the movie goes. I wasn't expecting that. Because usually, again, when you tell these narratives of Mario coming into the Mushroom Kingdom, like, Peach and Toad are already a unit, right? So, uh... Yeah, it, it was surprising to me, uh, but I liked it. I really, really dug his version of Toad. I was a. I think Keegan Michael Key did a pretty good job as Toad. At the same time, I think one of the big struggles with this movie, obviously being as short as it is and having to cram in everything, I don't think Toad really gets, like, a big spotlight outside really of, like, the scene where he helps sneak Mario into the castle. He really isn't used for that much else. And yeah, I kind of really wish he had yeah. something bigger to contribute to the movie overall. I mean, I agree, but I would say that about most characters who aren't Mario yeah. or Donkey Kong, honestly. Even even Peach, I guess, no, Pete, Peach had a, a pretty sizable role. Um, Toad was definitely underserved, for sure. But again, like, t- that's basically to- Toad's role in the games, too. Like, he doesn't do a whole lot. He's really a facilitator to get Mario from point A to point B to, to give him knowledge or wisdom and and then that's it. So it, it didn't feel inauthentic to the narrative. Like it, it's far more shocking that Luigi was sidelined as much as he was. I, I also think it was a smart choice for him to be like the character that ushers Mario into this world. Yeah. You know, yeah even if he kind works. of even if he kind of drops off the movie by the end, save for sneaking in a power up. Because that's right. that's what he did in the original Super Mario Brothers. He was the first friendly face you see in Super Mario Brothers, um, where it's either him or just random toads, as they're now known. They used to be mushroom people, folks. Uh, then they just decided they're all toads. But uh, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't call attention to it in this movie, but they do have like toads that go by normal sounding names. Do they? In addition. This guy who just says t- his name Toad. Okay, I thought they were just all Toads in this. No, I'm pretty sure he like like says hi to somebody named like Chantrell. <laughs> wow! All right, uh, Chantrell from Mario Kart Tour. Let's unless make I, it happen. Unless I've misheard that line. <laughs> okay, no. Which chat I, will have to tell me if I did. I like that reality though. That's the reality I choose to accept, Cameron. A, a mushroom person, a toad by the name of Chantra. Well, it's it's which I mean it, it is a, is a type of fungus, so it's still a okay. It's inconsistent it's a, it's a, in the games, yeah. though, as well, because you know before a certain point, we did have mushroom people with different names, and uh, and and then at some point, they just all became generic toads. I think around the time of New Super Mario Brothers, um, but. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I like Keegan Michael Key's Toad. Uh, he, he was a fun, a fun take on, on this character. Um, and of course, the, he takes Mario to see the princess just because Mario's like, I, I lost my brother. He went into a, a pipe surrounded by like lava, and, and Toad was like, Oh, well, yeah, he's in a dark lands. He's probably dead. 
uh, or, or captured by <laughs> Bowser's forces. I'll take you to the princess, though. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up to the highest point of authority here in the Mushroom Kingdom, and then maybe we can, uh, you know, she can do something for you. And sneaks him into the castle, and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's Peach. Uh, um, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed this, yeah. uh, this, this version of Peach. I think it's the... You know, obviously a lot more assertive than the Peach we're used to in any media, really. Uh, not the live action Super Mario Brothers movie, because that was Daisy, but, um, and, and she was, she was kind of an ass kicking Daisy. Uh, but as far as Peach goes, yeah, this is the first time where we get, I know people said like girl boss Peach, but, you know, she, she was just, uh, she, she was a get my hands dirty kind of leader. And I think that's a refreshing take on the character long overdue. So, uh, yeah. Oh, go. No, go ahead. Oh, um, I really liked how expressive Peach was in this movie. And I think part of that is, be- is uh, because of how unexpressive she is in the games. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked her. Like, as much as it's like a, a stand, a like stock, like animated movie moment. I do like her exasperated sigh when Mario is failing the obstacle course over and over because that feels novel as something Peach gets to do. Yeah. One of the interesting things I've seen a lot from is a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people feel that a lot of Daisy's personality was put onto the Peach for the movie, but I don't necessarily agree with that like i think they're able to still give peach some good moments while still giving her like sort of a regal calmness and i think like of course anya taylor joy does a great job like helping push that as well uh but i i definitely don't see the really the connection that people are trying to make with like peach sort of having daisy's characteristics i don't think i'm enough an authority on like those aspects of the mario canon to say one way or another i I can see people's fear but i i think like to make peach a stronger character and let's be frank uh Peach is always going to be more important to Mario canon than Daisy is. So yeah. if you've got to build up Peach, um, you got to do what you got to do. What What I'd also say is I feel like people are and uh, Transparency actually did a very, um, very good um, before the release of the movie um, video sort of touching on this. Um, people seem to um, kind of understand understate like just how often like non-game takes on peach have gone down this road of giving her her more active agency in the story and kind of making her more of an action-oriented character because well yeah you're you're not doing a game you need your characters to actually do things um specifically there's a lot of I feel a lot of the Super Mario Adventures comic in in this movie in general, but especially with Peach and Bowser and their dynamic with each other. I definitely see that now. That's a great which point. is there's a lot of like a lot of like Peach 
being furious, a lot of Peach like having these action hero movement moments and turning trying to turn the tables. Yeah, she nearly blows everyone up in the Super Mario Adventures comic. <laughs> kind, kind, not uh, which, uh, yeah, I guess we have King Bobom in in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Peach R.I.P. Not not the only beloved character who has an uh, ignoble death here. I I. The only thing about Peach that I didn't really understand is why she even entertained Mario, who who couldn't do the obstacle course, right? Like, why she was like, all right, you are going to be my sole traveling partner to the Jungle Kingdom as I try to enlist the Kong army to come to the aid of the Mushroom Kingdom during this huge international crisis where... Vladimir Koopa is is waging an assault on my sovereign nation. Like, she just met this dude, and is it just because Uh, he's she's the he's the first human she's ever uh, seen? I would think so. I think she has like a a special uh, interest and curiosity in him, just because he's she is very excited to see another human in this kingdom. I think another part of it is just that. She is grasping at any straw she can because we've seen that the rest of the Mushroom Kingdom is ready to just roll over. I I guess. And considering in this reality, in this canon continuity of the movie, the Mushroom Kingdom is just Toads and and Peach. Um, Like, they have no standing army. They have no uh, really defense any defense to speak of other than power-ups. Right. And, uh, which, which is why they're going to the Kongs. Right, right. Which, which is a surprising take because, you know, it's, it, it makes me wonder because in the movie, and I, I was like, when, when Peach was like, you're a human, I was like, whoa. Well, like my mind was blowing. I was like, this is going to lead to somewhere interesting. And all we got was this little minor flashback of baby Peach coming through the pipe but in this version of the story, she's not from the Mushroom Kingdom. There is no King Toadstool. There, she, she was, she's just this weird space orphan uh, it, from another reality. It, it, it felt like another thing, like giving Mario a, a family where like, oh, oh, wow, they pointed out Peach doesn't look like every other person in her world. Like, it, it, this feels verboten. Yeah, I, I wonder how that will square away if they do ever introduce Daisy and Rosalina in this continuity. Uh, like, how? Wh- where, where is this going? Because this is this is a new take that I don't think has ever been addressed in any Mario canon, um, least of all the games. Like, wow, wow. Like, I, I, I don't like. I don't hate it. It's just, it's just something that I wasn't expecting. And it did make sense as from a screenwriting perspective to give Peach this immediate affinity towards Mario. If, if he is this human, albeit a very basic, unassuming human, like, oh, like maybe Peach is just, she wants to keep him close to, you know, better figure the situation out and maybe then find some sort of, um, evidence towards her own origins i just don't feel like the movie did a good enough job really getting into that right yeah i i don't know like it, it, was, it was surprising to me i i don't dislike it i i just 
feel like it could have served the narrative a little bit more, or at least have been more sequel bait than the sequel bait we actually got. Um, yeah. And yeah, like just the, the entirety of the Mushroom Kingdom felt undercooked to me because I wanted to spend more time exploring it, really showing what makes this world tick. You know, I, I like the little bits we saw in the town of how ridiculous it was, like imagining ATMs in a world where you have to punch blocks to get your coins out and, and how laborious and stupid that would be. I, we, we just didn't spend enough time really soaking it in. Like, I feel like we, we needed more of Mario just living and breathing in this world rather than jumping into that obstacle course. Because I, I, the, the, the obstacle course part was boring for me. Uh, if, like, personally, maybe it was just holding out for a hero plane, which we've heard so many times in movies and TV shows in the last couple of years that it just felt like, uh, really? We're doing this? We're, we're doing this again? Kind of an, kind of an obvious we're, choice. Would you be surprised to learn, Heil, that there is a song on the soundtrack that seems like it was meant to play in this sequence? Well, considering what we learned about the an Jungle original Kingdom, piece, considering what we learned about the Jungle Kingdom, that would not surprise me. No, uh, yeah. yeah, I like. I, I don't know. Like, I it, it it felt a little bit contrived, right? We we want we want to have this big video gamey set piece to really put Mario through his paces, and this is the way Peach is going to judge him, but he can't do it, but she's still going to let him tag along. It just feels like padding to me, where that padding could have been better served towards fleshing out this world a little bit more. I I do want to quickly say, since I don't really have a lot to mention about the Mushroom Kingdom stuff, because it's not too long, um, I will say the music i want to quickly talk about the music and how i think the composer brian tyler i think he absolutely killed it with this soundtrack i think it's probably one of the film's biggest strengths right next to it's like really nice and sweet visuals i i agree and like i i've seen because they're inevitable really a lot of like drawing, drawing, comparing and contrasting this movie with um, the two recent Sonic movies, and I haven't really wanted to like involve myself in those kind of discussions because I feel like they're they're very different kinds of movies with very different goals. But a big point of contrast for me is I. I really liked Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It was a I thought it was a very fun movie. But one of the biggest sticking points with me is in that movie was the score was basically nothing to me. Like yeah. I don't retain any of it. Um complete complete opposite case with this movie. I was engrossed with the score the entire time and Granted, part of that is just me like, oh, I, I saw the thing that I liked and it, I cl- I heard the, the song that I recognized from the thing and I clapped. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, sometimes that's that's all it is. Just arrange something that has emotional resonance for your audience and do a very good job. And to this movie's credit, that happened very often and very appropriately and with great orchestration and arrangement. Yeah, the the score was great. The licensed music, not so much, which 
Well, hey, uh, let's let's get to the Jungle Kingdom, shall we? This is this is what people have <laughs> been waiting for. This is why people have bought their tickets to this podcast. So yeah, Peach is heading to the Jungle Kingdom to recruit the Kong army because Bowser has the superstar and he's coming to the Mushroom Kingdom. And Mario comes with, for reasons I guess we already established, and then Toad joins Mario. Um, and then that's how Toad joins the party. So uh, Fellowship of the Ring, it is not, but off they go. And can I just say this whole sequence of them, like hiking to the jungle kingdom it really confused me as to what the geography was supposed to be in this movie because i assume that the jungle kingdom is supposed to be landlocked considering mario peach and toad just walk there over the course of several days um they cross a desert at, at one point which we saw in the trailer they also seem to cross yoshi's island or at least this habitat full of yoshis so uh, that that's a bit confusing, but it was the one time, aside from the end credits, that uh, that Yoshi's were acknowledged, and, uh, and that that also got a big applause in the the theater. A lot of Yoshi fans showed up in my neck of the woods. But then after um, the events in the Jungle Kingdom, when Mario and Donkey Kong fall off the Rainbow Road, they seem to be in a sea or an ocean. So I'm not really sure how any of this works out because if you study the map that the toads and peach are looking at in uh in her castle the the battle map you're not you're not gonna make any sense out of it and also if it took them this long to reach the jungle kingdom several days why did they go on foot when we know they have tanuki power-ups um why did why did it take bowser's forces who are flying in an enormous castle airship so long to reach the Mushroom Kingdom. I know it's plot contrivance and convenience. I get that. Uh, everybody moves at the speed of plot. And, and that's a problem in any genre storytelling where they have different modes of travel that are different from our own. But uh, what? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it just I, I don't I don't get like that bit of the movie it, for me it's a kid's movie and i'm trying to make sense out of a kid's movie i get it i i'm the there's a part one. of it there's a part of it that honestly seems like a little bit wasteful to me in that like i mean granted this is like me projecting my own expectations a little bit but like if you were to just like sight unseen like ask me what you think they'd be doing in this movie i would think like oh well a chunk of the movie is gonna be like a road movie with peach Right. Mario and Toad going through these various interesting looking places, which they do like a sort of very blink and you'll miss it montage of like, I kind of figured we'd have these like, you know, these qu interspersed quiet moments or like more interstitials of them doing stuff in these places. Like even the bit of, like them all crossing the bridge and the cheap cheap getting stuck to Mario's face. That was in the trailers and they edited it down for the movie. Like we don't yeah. see as much of it, but just um, there's that. And just like, well, wh why did you even tease Yoshi's Island? If nothing really important happens there and you're going to have Yoshi be the big ending sequel hook. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like you're right like that you think like a lot of the the plot for that movie would just be the road trip aspect of it 
And because uh, that that way you could sort of get the vibe of the games a little bit. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just a quick montage to get from the Mushroom Kingdom to the Jungle Kingdom. Maybe a wasted opportunity, but again, with 90 minutes and them trying to do so much, I, I get why there's barely nothing there. But it just gives this this disconnected like feeling of, of weightlessness to everything. Like, I, right. I never really felt like I believed this world outside of maybe the jungle kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I agree with what you were saying earlier. Maybe uh, as much as I love Donkey Kong and I did enjoy these jungle kingdom scenes, I probably would have preferred. Well, I don't know if I can say preferred, but I think it would have been to the movie's benefit to have, instead of going to, these different places all over their world go to different places in the mushroom kingdom and establish it more. Yeah. Yeah. Like going, going outside of the mushroom kingdom in the first movie, uh, outside of maybe the dark glances, I, I, I get that, get that contrast, but it, yeah, it just feels like, again, they're trying to get too much of the history, uh, into this one movie. But as a Donkey Kong fan, I'm not going to say I didn't want Donkey Kong in this. This is the the screenwriter yeah. in me arguing against the Donkey Kong fan in me, and we're having a shouting match right now. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm glad Donkey Kong is here. I'm because this this is the whole reason why I turned up to the movie in the first place, right? Like I probably still wouldn't have seen this if Donkey Kong was guaranteed to not be in this. So. Yeah, like I, I was there opening day. As soon as the, the, we had we had the first non IMAX showing, I I showed up, and so for the Jungle Kingdom, I'll say this much: for those who can't accept that the movie turned Donkey Kong Island into the Jungle Kingdom, uh, consider this if it really bothers you. There does seem to be jungle territory seen a bit in the Mario cameo games that's not on Donkey Kong Island, but is still under Kong control. DK Mountain in Double Dash, for example, uh, which is visible from Baby Park and Dino Dino Jungle, and it's clearly not the same Congo jungle from the games. The trees and clouds have eyes, for one thing, and it doesn't seem to be on an island, uh, because you can see it from Baby Park. So, you know, maybe the Jungle Kingdom is just that. Um, I'm not necessarily wild about this change for this movie, but at least it's something wholly distinct and won't create as much confusion as just inventing a new name for the island as the cartoon did. Um, nobody who, who picks up a Donkey Kong game after seeing this and, and, um, is witness to Donkey Kong Island is going to be like, don't they mean the Jungle Kingdom? Like, they're going to be like, oh, okay, it's different in the games. Got it. But um, I, I, I didn't really have a problem with this. I think it's my biggest, like, hold up a little bit. Like, I don't know how I feel because I'm just so married to the sense of Donkey Kong Island and this larger archipelago around it. But for the movie, um, it's fine. I just worry about what it would mean for the eventual Donkey Kong spinoff, you know? Right. So when, when they were approaching the gate, to the jungle kingdom because the jungle kingdom in this movie it's you have the the broader jungle and then there's this like gated um civilization of the kongs that live within it sort of reminds me a little bit of what we would see on uh captain n 
the the, the few appearances of Donkey Kong there. Um, very similar, actually. But the as they approach the gate, we get a little audio motif of DK Island Swing. And I wasn't expecting that. And this is the part that I sort of alluded to in my review. It caused me to sort of have an emotional reaction then and there. My eyes started watering. I started tearing up after I heard DK Island Swing because I, I, I wasn't expecting any Donkey Kong music outside of the DK rap because that had already been revealed. That the DK rap was going to be in the movie. They they had it as part of their promotion a week beforehand. Seth Rogen did this video where he watched the DK rap on a tablet for the first time and sort of made fun of it gently. But um, to, to hear this piece of music as they approached the jungle, like before we'd seen any Donkey Kong characters, to hear that familiar David Wise um, song, um, just, just a whiff of it, I uh, I damn near cried around all these little kids. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely felt like a, a pang of emotion there because it did feel like another one of those like landmark moments for like like the the Donkey Kong franchise as as influenced from Donkey Kong Country onward. Um, I, like I, I, it kind of made me flash back to like the lead up to Tropical Freeze and hearing a completely original David Wise tune for the first time in what felt like forever. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I was just like, oh my god, here we go, this is happening, and I, and yeah, because I, I, you know, Donkey Kong's going to be in it, you know, Cranky Kong's going to be in it, but you, you didn't expect that, and as this Donkey Kong absolutist, this, this diehard sitting in a theater surrounded by people who probably weren't Donkey Kong fans, uh, probably more Mario fans or just kids going to see an Illumination movie on opening day during spring break. Um, I was just like, whoa, this is a surreal moment to have this, this bubble of ours kind of burst and, and to have the broader population witness it. And, and that really set the tone for this whole sequence in the jungle kingdom where every little thing that was recognizable, I was like, this isn't just our own little corner anymore. Like this isn't just our little playground, um, this this is being exposed to a much larger audience now. How wild is that? So these it's crazy. We yeah. get to see Swank. They they get to see uh, all the Kongs we've known and loved and haven't seen for years and years. Yeah. So so the first Kong we see isn't a pre-established Kong. It's an original Kong. It's the sports coat wearing Kong that we see. We we saw in a I think a TV spot or two where Mario and Peach and Toad you know they they bang on the gate and this Kong greets them and we thought it was like a, some sort of bouncer right and I guess it's kind of what it is but there's this great line that Mario gives is that gorilla wearing a sports coat or or something and I I think that was just perfect <laughs> pitch perfect because it really does sh- explain to you all you really need to know about Kongs right like. Oh yeah, they're gorillas and monkeys, and they wear clothes and and they have civilization. They're they're just people, but they're just monkeys and apes. And just the right. fact that the first one we meet is wearing a sports coat, I think was just the right choice. 
the right choice to introduce <laughs> it. And then, of course, picks them up in a in a cart and drives them into the uh, the civilization, the Jungle Kingdom. And this is where we get Aha's Take On Me plane, uh, which, of course, was a, we we now know was originally going to be an original piece of music for the film uh, called Driving Me Bananas. With that incorporated a bunch of different um, Donkey Kong Country uh, and Donkey Kong series songs and kind of this medley, this all-encompassing, like, welcome to Donkey Kong's civilization. And we'll, we'll really get into a lot of our problems with the licensed music later on, but um, I, I will say not knowing that we would have this brilliant piece of music cut from the film. And I don't know if that little piece of DK Island Swing we heard when they approached it was the only salvaged part of it, or if it was an isolated thing. Like, I'd have to rewatch the film and really compare to know for sure. But um, bef- not not knowing any of that, and just thinking that this was always going to be a licensed piece of music, I didn't really understand why it was Take On Me. Cameron, you said because the music video um, starts with uh, Go-Kart. Well, it starts with like motorcycles okay. and engine revving noises. Okay. So I think like might have just been the driving force. Um, driving. It, force. It's one of those things where like I feel like the knowledge of what we lost is cursed because <laughs> like divorced from that knowledge, just like seeing the movie taking it as in a vacuum. This was the use of licensed music I liked the most. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, and part of that might just be that I like take on me as a song. Well, I, I have a theory when I was leaving the theater and just blasting it on my car stereo for the drive home is there, there's a part in the song where, you know, it's a take on me. I can't sing the whole thing because then Twitch will, uh, you know, give us demerit. But there, there's a, this part where he says, I'll be gone. And if you really aren't paying attention, it sounds like Donkey Kong. That was my theory. <laughs> I don't think it's right. But now you'll hear that song and you won't be able to unhear that. So you're welcome. But yeah, like it, it's, uh, it sold the Kong civilization between this white sports coat wearing Don Johnson Kong and this really iconic piece of 80s music playing. It really sold, uh, the Jungle Kingdom we've, as being like Miami we've, Vice. We've now got a workshop it. name for this guy. Um, I see the chat has chimed in with, uh, Luffy Don calling him Blonde Kong and, uh, no name nine 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 suggesting security Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, L says sporty Kong. See, we're gonna run into this situation where it's gonna be like the hat wearing Kong from Donkey Kong Land, where people still can't agree what the best name is. I settled on commuter <laughs> Kong. People seem to hate that, uh, and they're like, "No, it's Hat Kong. No, it's City Kong." Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. And- but- and then four, four or five years later, somebody who worked on the movie says, like, oh, yeah, that's Officer Bob. <laughs> no, <laughs> if it was authentic to talking with Rare staff, it would be, oh, I don't remember what that was for. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I do want to quickly, before we move on to the big thing about this scene, I do want to quickly talk about what this scene kind of reminded me of and Heil, i want you to bear with me for a second oh no um because this is going to be a little weird so have you 
ever seen or heard of the live-action Cat in the Hat movie with Mike Myers. I hate you. (laughs) Have you? I hate you. I I won't dignify that with a response one way or another. So, so anyways, there is a scene near the end of the movie for Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat starring Mike Myers, where... Uh, they all get home and they realize that the lock on the cat's magic crate has been stolen by Alec Baldwin. (laughs) And so now the house is completely ruined. It's been completely transformed into this really weird, like, susical style crazy place. And they've got to get back to the crate and put the crab lock on it to make everything go back to normal. And in this scene, they ride their babysitter down this, uh, what seems like this Splash Mountain-style, like, water log ride. And during the scene, uh, there's a part where one of the kids says, This is amazing. It's just like a ride in an amusement park. And then Mike Myers, as the cat, uh, turns to the screen and says, You mean like at Universal Studios? And he holds up a pamphlet for Universal Studios, and then he says, cha-ching, and then just, like, gives us a little wink at the camera. And uh, (laughs) I couldn't help but feel like this scene reminded me of that, because it's like, oh, here it is, the Donkey Kong section of (laughs) Universal Studios. Right. Yeah. Does Mike Myers just do that in all of his movies? That was a joke from Wayne's World, too. I, I would think it's in his contract. He has okay. to do it at like, least once per It's funny movie. in Wayne's world because it's like, oh, you're making fun of product placement. And then you're still doing the same bit in your cat in a hat movie like 15 years <laughs> later. All right. Uh, yeah, so so this this whole sequence. Um, so I was I was already disoriented from this because so like here we are. We're in the movie's equivalent to Donkey Kong Island. We can argue about whether or not it's supposed to be that or not, you know, or if it's just this landlocked jungle that has no bearing on the games. But um, I, I, I was kind of just beside myself at this point, sort of like my, my soul was leaving my body and just floating above me. And then the, you know, aha song playing just kind of made the situation even more surreal. And then... I I wasn't clear on who this character was. And I think we as a staff, we, we all weren't sure at first. We were comparing notes afterwards after we had individually seen it. And we couldn't really reach a conclusion until we saw pirated footage after the fact. Because right, none of us, like, I think all of us suspected it, but, like, none of us wanted to be wrong right. and spread the online yeah it's just one of those things where it goes so fast that you like can't you don't really know it's one of those where you'd have to like pause or like frame by frame it especially because we're all donkey kong fans and we know what we want to see yeah and also like i i was still just off my game i i've talked about this sort of blindness i have when a trailer starts playing of something i'm really into like when the tropical freeze trailer first started playing at e3 2013 i couldn't really process any of what i was seeing i was like jelly cubes what's happening because i'm just like so like it's like being a kid on christmas morning right and you just can't really calm yourself down so 
I'm not expecting a major cameo yet. And so, uh, I, I, I'm like, was that? And I'm like, ah, oh, probably wasn't. Pro- I'm probably just seeing things. But so the, the driver, Blonde Kong or Security Kong or Don Johnson Kong, I know that one won't catch on, um, picks up a banana from a banana vendor on the docks, still in his go-kart, right? He just, it's just a drive-by, gonna grab a banana. He eats it and throws the peel behind him on the docks, um, you know, as a little uh, acknowledgement of banana peels in Mario Kart. And it that causes another driver behind him to spin out and crash in a violent, fiery explosion that is surely to be <laughs> fatal. Now, again, we weren't sure who this driver was. We all had our suspicions, especially after the... Uh, Ring of Kong artwork, you know, first showed up online in that Donkey Kong poster and then later on as an individual asset from the Japanese website. And sure enough, after we, we've seen pirated footage of this scene, it was the, <laughs> it, it was the film's appearance of Swanky Kong. Everybody, <laughs> Swanky Kong, who, but can I, can I just say like, we, we saw him in, the poster in the Ring of Kong artwork. And he's wearing his Donkey Kong Country 3 getup. But there was some debate about his hairdo. Right? And, and so looking at the f- what, what we have of the film, he's got this... Uh, he, he doesn't have the greasy toupee from DKC2. But he's, he's sort of um, coiffed his hair, his fur on his head, in a like pompadour. Um, similar to actually what I do with my own hair. I was like, oh God, I'm Nintendo Cinematic Universe Swanky Kong. But, um. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, there's <laughs> worse things to be compared to. I love the way he looks. I, I think this is a great reimagining of Swanky Kong. If this was his new design in the games, sign me up because I think it's the right take on him and i just love the expression he's got before he you know spins out and dies i i think that it's he's got just the right smirk for swanky kong like he's just got this this swagger to him like yeah that raised eyebrow i know you want this it 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 gives off a real (laughs) smugness kind of you know DreamWorks eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, his, 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 la- his last thoughts are, "I'm never going to die." <laughs> no, no, nothing bad ever happens to the Kongs. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's great after uh, after like t- what twenty seven years. Oh, it's great after twenty seven years. I'm finally making another appearance. Um, <laughs> I. I, I know, like, we're joking about, like, this being Swanky's death scene. And, I mean, yeah, that, that explosion does not look like one anybody's walking away from, <laughs> even understanding it's a cartoon. But, like, I have so much respect. Like, I would be totally fine if we never see this character again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, in this movie universe, I still want to see him in the games. Because I respect the the idea so much of bringing Swanky Kong out of mothballs after, like, two decades just to put him on screen for about three seconds and then kill him in this horribly violent 
over the fashion. <laughs> and the great thing is there's no debate about it. We know this is Swanky Kong because we've seen this character model paired with the other game Kongs in the Ring of Kong artwork. Like Swanky does the, Swanky does not appear in the Ring of Kong sequence in the movie. Neither does Cranky where he's seated, but they made sure to pair them all together as an Easter egg in that poster. For the fans to say, yeah, Swanky's in this. And sure enough, this is where Swanky appears. Because I was looking for him in the <laughs> Ring of Kong, and I didn't see him. And, well, of and, course uh, he's not in the ring. He's dead. He's dead, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it means like, okay, so let, let's just let's just think this through. The, the significant magnitude of this, because Swanky Kong is a deeply beloved character by the most hardcore Donkey Kong and DKU and Rare fandoms, however you want to divide that line. But Swanky Kong has been virtually ignored outside of a reference in Mario Superstar Baseball and, and of course, Smash Spirits. You know, Swanky has been ignored for a long, long time. And so it's this great victory moment to get Swanky back. Swanky appears in this movie, before Donkey Kong, before Cranky Kong, before anybody else, <laughs> Swanky Kong is the first known Kong to make an appearance in this, and he dies within seconds. We don't know, like, okay, maybe he'll be back in a... Maybe this will be a running joke in, like, every movie, like, every Donkey Kong movie, is Swanky will show up, and it'll be like an, you know, a South Park Kenny moment where something befalls. I hope that's not where they go with it because that's not <laughs> yeah. what Swanky should be. Like I want to, I want to spend some time with Swanky if he does come back, but if this uh, is it. No, no, no name in the chat proposes a, a, an interesting scenario. If a Koopa can survive fourth degree burns, Swanky can survive a car crash and explosion. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll get dry Swanky. It, <laughs> it reminds me of, um, Batman v Superman, because in that movie, there is this uh, character who's paired with Lois Lane near the beginning, uh, and he gets shot in the head within the first 10 minutes. And then we find out Zack Snyder says, oh, that was Jimmy Olsen. And you're like, really? You just shot Jimmy Olsen from off of Superman in the head and had him executed in your in your the second movie of your cinematic universe. Uh, Swanky isn't as important as Jimmy Olsen is to Superman mythos to the Donkey Kong mythology, but still, it's it, it's it's funnier to me that it's Swanky who who dies. <laughs> Let's just say he dies. Like I I don't know if that will be the intent, but it sure does look like he's not making it out of that. He he doesn't appear later on, as far as we're aware. I didn't see no body. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I definitely looked like I had a hard time focusing on like the characters I was supposed to be looking at yeah. in those long scenes because I was just scanning the background constantly. Yeah. You know, Heil, when you finally get to that character witness of Swanky Kong, it's going to be a pretty grim ending for him now. It's coming up. Uh, like we're, we're not going <laughs> to give spoilers for the movie in that episode, but. People in the know will know why we're doing that character. <laughs> Can I just say, like, the, the movie's not canon to the game. Swanky is still alive and well in the DKU, everybody. It's okay. Even if this is a multiverse situation, this is just one variant of Swanky Kong. This feels like we're, like, Nintendo doing damage control after 
Luigi was killed by the Grim Reaper in that Smash trailer. Like, he's okay, folks. Luigi was not canonically killed. Everyone's going to be really confused when the character witness is actually just called In Memoriam, Swanky Kong. The, the, the last thing I'll say about Swanky Kong, because it's a big fucking deal that Swanky Kong is in this. I'm sorry, it is. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Swanky is... His, his character model is very faithful, I, I think. Like, Donkey Kong got a, a fairly drastic redesign that I think works for the movie. But I would say everybody else is, is pretty faithful. Like, everybody's been tweaked. But this is still more in the line of the Kev Bayless-style Kong um, than, than some of the others. Uh, if he appeared in a game looking just like this, it would be a natural fit. Yeah, like, yeah. More so yeah. than any other Kong in the movie. And, and like I said, I, I love his hair. I, I, I've always hated the greasy toupee. I liked when he ditched it in DKC3. I think this is a brilliant compromise to it. Because, yeah, like... Agreed. Yeah, mo- like most male Kongs just uh, style their fur. They don't have the inexplicable mop of human hair on their head. Uh, so it works for Swanky. You don't need a toupee, Swanky. You got a great head of fur. Make it work for you, baby. Um, anyway, so... Um, yeah, 80s Kong takes them to Cranky's Palace, which is, uh, he flies through the Golden Temple head, like the Hot Wheels playset. Um, he, th- in this case, he uses a glider on the cart, um, rather than just making the jump, which, you know, makes more sense. But, um, that, that gives them access, uh, to Cranky's throne room. Um, of course, Cranky in this movie is a lot more opulent than we're used to. Cranky is, is, Cranky and the Kong civilization in general seem to be a lot more archaic than they're portrayed in the games. And the games are a lot more, I think, a little bit more modern. I say that knowing like the Kongs in this movie have carts and, and what have you and some semblance of technology, but, um, the, the Kongs are more, I think, humble in, in the video games. Like Cranky just lives in a simple cabin. And, you know, they might have, like, numerous cabins, numerous homes, but they're all uh, of simple structure and and not too assuming. Here, you know, he's living in the full, like, Donkey Kong Country Return-style Tiki Tak tribe temple. Um, like, it, it seems like what Kong civilization in the games would have been, like, hundreds or even thousands of years ago. And uh, I, I like it for the movie. I, I think it helps communicate more effectively what cranky is to this civilization what the kongs are about like i think it works for the movie for the narrative shorthand you need and i'm not like i i love the way cranky looks in this like i think it it does fit cranky's character to have him be um a little bit more arrogant and a little bit more regal yeah um, I really like the animations on Cranky in this movie, like when he's stroking his beard with his foot. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. My favorite bit of like character acting in the movie probably is that little, just that little tiny bit. Like I, I mentioned that I like that in the movie the Kongs are just people who happen to be simian, but I do like when you get those little aspects that no, they're they're apes. They're they're still apes creeping in, and just little flourishes here or there. And I think it's just the perfect I do, balance. I do want to say before we touch on the voice, I think the characterization of Cranky Kong specifically is very well done. I do like how when they get to him, he's 
very apathetic about the whole thing. You know, when they're saying, hey, you know, we, we need the Kong army to help against Bowser or else not only will we fall, but then you guys will fall as well. And Cranky Kong just sort of shrugs and he's like, you know, who cares? I guess we'll just deal with that when it comes, you know. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, here you go. Just kidding. Get the hell out of my kingdom. It, it's it's never really gotten into that deeply in the games, but I have always gotten the impression that Cranky is a bit of an isolationist, um, at least in his perspective, much more so than Donkey or Diddy are. Like, you know, of course, Diddy ate at Timber's Island. Donkey, uh, Donkey Kong went to the Fruit Kingdoms, the Faraway Lands, whatever, in Jungle Beat, you know. Um, but Cranky seems to be very much like, you know, who's that pig with glasses? Get off my island. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, yeah uh, it's, a, it's a different context than we're used to seeing him in, but the way he acts in that context feels authentically Cranky. Yeah, it's still true to his character. Like, I, if, if this was presented in the games, I wouldn't really bat an eyelash at it. It'd be like, yeah, Cranky. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, and so yeah, it, it worked for me. Like, I, we'll, we'll get into the voice. Uh, I, I would say, like, I think, like, as far as my problems with the original cartoon, the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, uh, Cranky was never really one of them. I, I really liked Cranky's voice in the cartoon. Um, yeah, to, I, to this day, that's my preferred Cranky voice. Like, that's how I imagine him in the in the games. I will say there was always this lack of warmth with any of the characters in that show. Like, that I felt like were was at least somewhat obvious in the games. Like, th- there there was always this like threes company energy to their shenanigans. I mean, <laughs> they were sitcom <laughs> plots, but everybody was always at each other's throat a little bit. And there was never this sense that, oh, they all love each other. And at the very least with this Cranky Kong, I got that sense. Even with his arc with Donkey Kong, I got the sense. And of course, at the end, it's it's made abundantly clear, but that Cranky loves Donkey. So I, I think this might be my favorite interpretation of Cranky in another medium, even though the voice takes some time to get used to. So yeah. Fred Armisen voices Cranky here, and it's a weird take on Cranky. It's not what I would have guessed. It's so so we we had you know we've had brief vocal clips of Cranky in the games a little bit in Donkey Kong sixty four. I think the um, the Diddy Kong racing ROM that leaked, we can hear him a little bit. <laughs> you know, a little bit like that. But <laughs> it was DK Viner Carla Gurney that pointed out to us. Fred Armisen's Cranky is just Bernie Sanders. It's just Bernie Sanders. <laughs> He's just doing Bernie Sanders. There's there's nothing, like, fanciful about it. He's just doing his Bernie Sanders impression. And it's Cranky Kong. It's, it's funny that, like, my relationship with the voice of Cranky was, like, the opposite of what I was fearing for other characters in the movie, which is, like, well, they, hi- they hired an actor who's mostly known for live action and not voice acting. Like, am I just going to hear that actor and is it going to take me out of it? Fred Armisen is, I mean, he he's an SNL like pillar. He is an impressionist. He does do voices, but he was the, his performance was the one voice in the movie that just kind of, made me raise an eyebrow at it a little bit because it just was not what I was expecting. 
Yeah. And and I don't know how much of that, too, is how close <laughs> we all are to the character of Cranky Kong being such hardcore Donkey Kong fans. And so we're naturally more protective. We naturally have our own very cemented ideas uh, of what he is and, and what he would For sound sure. like. For sure. Um. I, I would say, like, I never really got used to it, but I eventually stopped fighting it. Uh, it, it was just like, okay, that's what this version of Cranky sounds like. Uh, I, I did put the Bernie Sanders connection in at first. When I rewatch the movie eventually, that's going to be really fun to, to go back through and just imagine <laughs> Bernie Sanders in the recording booth be, being like, because cause actually, actually, that's a good, like, modernized take on cranky kong is what if he was this uh can can um you know uh politician who who has the best interest of his people at heart he just he just he's just gruff and he just he's just done with it he's just done with the bullshit um so in that aspect i think it was clever it's just gonna take me a while to get used to it really i i do think a lot of it is like it really is missing that, like, old gruffness to it. Like, even if he's trying to do, like, a Bernie Sanders type, I think there's still something missing out on, like, just a more aged Cranky Kong, you know? Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like whether this just be the voice direction or, like, what the Armisen himself decided, there's something inherently not old enough in the voice for cranky kong to really gel with it and That's obviously I like i don't think it ruined the, obviously it didn't ruin the film uh you know it doesn't take away anything from the film but at the same time like yeah i sort of never really got used to it it, it, it was it was surprisingly one of the only voice performances where i'm like man that kind of disappointed me i i guess if i try to think of it as the movie in the way the movie frames it as like, well, this is the father of Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. And I put the like visual out of my head. I can kind of see where the, the stars align a little bit more um, because this is one of the actually like clever thematically resonant things. The movie does where it, bring, it, it, it brings together Mario and Donkey Kong on this core conceit that like, both of them are burdened with the expectations of their fathers who are disappointed in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it there, it just feels like there's a, this intrinsic disconnect because I movie cranky does still look like this very aged frail old man, even though he is very animate. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I could totally buy this Cranky. Like, he, he does go into action. Like, he's part of the uh, Kong army sequence, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he, he's not just somebody who sits on his throne. Like, I could buy this Cranky being the Tropical Freeze Cranky bouncing around on his cane. Uh, he's got a little, he's got a, he's got a walking stick in this movie that's, like, tipped with gold um, on the top. Um, but it, it's, it's visually similar to the cane he's got in the games right now. Um, in the live stream, uh, Given pointing out, um, someone in our friend Courtney's server just pointed out that Cranky's Bernie Sanders voice makes a lot of sense if he still has New York origins. See, that's another thing. Like, if there was this whole, I'm wondering what was cut because I, there, there's just part of me that just can't let go of this idea that there was going to be a Donkey Kong sequence in Brooklyn and this would, would have been the origin of the Kongs. They fell through 
the <laughs> the portal to and and went like time dilation and they arrived there like decades before i'm probably wrong but that that's a good point like if he does have this bernie sanders very new york brooklyn kind of accent that would explain why oh my god um it'll be interesting to talk about in like just a bit with some of these other character cameos we have coming up but like with some of these other cameos uh, I'm not sure if you had seen this yet. It happened, I think, like a little late yesterday, but we do have kind of have some sort of confirmation of potentially cut Donkey Kong related scenes. Okay. Um, I will say on the topic again of like the characterization of Cranky Kong. Um, one of the things I also love about how the characterization of this version is just like him delighting in like a lot of the things that make people suffer, like just the whole arena scene where Donkey Kong is completely like beating the shit out of Mario to death. Like you can see Cranky Kong loving it. He's, he's laid back. He's enjoying it. Yeah. And that's a nice, I think uh tip of the hat acknowledgement of, their antagonistic relationship, which has never been resolved in the games. Like I really like, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but I really like the way that Donkey Kong and Mario's relationship is portrayed in this movie where they're frenemies, right? Like there, there's always yeah. going to be this little edge to that, but generally they're okay with each other. Cranky has never had that resolution. Crank, like, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in the games, I, I just imagine Cranky still loathes Mario with all of his, like, every fiber of his being. And he does not approve of his uh, son or grandson going off and, and having uh, sporting competitions and, and go-kart races with his nemesis, right? Um, so I, I, I did like that. Let's talk about the the way they um clarified their relationship at least for the movie between cranky and donkey donkey kong is cranky's son full stop in this movie which was absolutely the right choice to make especially as it relates to mario's plot and right. the, the, like i said in my review um because this was also revealed ahead of time in marketing materials but the relationship between Cranky Kong and Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Country onward has always ostensibly been that of a father and a son. I People get so hung up on, was he Donkey Kong Jr.? Does that mean Donkey Kong Jr. is the adult current Donkey Kong? Well, I don't like that because I like Donkey Kong Jr.'s design and we're not going to see it again. And people get so lost in the weeds that they just don't look at the relationship the characters actually have. And yes, it's been stated in the games that he's his grandfather, and it's also been stated he's his father, and it's been stated that he raised him, and so we've kind of sussed out that the cleanest explanation is he's his biological grandfather, but raised him, he and Wrinkly raised Donkey Kong as their son. So you don't need any of that in the movie especially if we're not getting into dk senior and dk junior in this movie cranky is donkey kong's father that's all you need to know right um so i think that that it's it stayed true to who the characters are because cranky is donkey kong's father i mean 
yeah, maybe not biologically in the games, but he is his father. So I liked it. I, I loved that. I love that they just went with that. And I love that Miyamoto signed off on it. That really makes yeah. me, um, like I've been saying on this conversation from what I've been led to believe from my sources that, yeah, we're not going to see Don Kong Jr. again in the games aside from retro presentations, like not retro studios presentations, like retro style presentations, like in Mario Kart tour, he's just presented as this kind of out of time sprite from the SNES game. And I, I think, yeah, the game's not going to worry about it. Like I, I think it might even be Miyamoto's, understanding that yeah this is donkey kong jr grown up and that makes the most sense for the plot of donkey kong country um it just i there there are some people who just won't be happy with that but i think it works best for donkey and cranky's characters i think that's just the the way it should be in general leave leaving no uh missing links well yeah yeah um, it's just a lot cleaner and and like i said this this was the best version of donkey kong and cranky kong's relationship in any other uh, form outside of the games that i've seen like i loved yeah. the relationship in this in this movie so um anyway yeah mario Mar- uh cranky kong says uh i'll give you my army if you can beat my son in the ring of kong talking to mario and uh like thinking there's no way this this little stout man is going to uh defeat his behemoth of a gorilla son uh so so they go into the ring of kong which is what the the coliseum is called and uh you know uh we we see we've seen a lot of this in the trailers you know mario coming out trying to trying to psych himself up and then donkey kong um runs out and is just this he's very bestial in this moment he's very much like super smash brothers donkey kong where this this is the one part where he feels like gorilla like a caged animal or unleashed uh here here's this primal fury right and um the crowd goes wild for donkey kong and uh i wasn't expecting the the actual name drop of this character um and to my surprise it got a smattering of applause in my theater and I was like, right on! Yeah! <laughs> uh, Diddy Kong! Uh, he, he's really enthusiastic, and he, he's like, yeah, Donkey Kong! Yeah, yeah! And Crank, Cranky in his Bernie Sanders voice says, you know, quiet down, everybody. That means you, Diddy Kong. And, uh, and Diddy looks all <laughs> dejected in the crowd. And sitting next to Diddy, Dixie Kong and Chunky Kong, who... Got way more screen time than I was anticipating. Like, like we spent uh, a good solid maybe four seconds on on Chunky Kong. Um, <laughs> in this, like, I, I Chunky Kong was a late revelation for us, right? Because we didn't see Chunky Kong in the Donkey Kong poster. We didn't see him until we had the full art asset of the Congo Coliseum with all those T posing. Uh, Kongs that they thought would be obscured by logos and what have you, and Donkey Kong himself. But um, Chunky was was cut off by the poster, and so we found out, oh, there's Chunky. But I still wasn't quite clear if they were going to be in the movie, like Swanky and, and Chunky and Diddy and Dixie. And yeah, they're all here. I mean, Swanky's dead, but he was there beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, like I there's some confusion in the inner circle when we were discussing this in our spoilers channel for the movie because they're like why of all the Kongs did Chunky get this much screen time? And I, I'm just like, this is awesome because like Swanky, Chunky has been a Kong who since the buyout has been virtually ignored. Yeah. A- and uh, so, so the fact that he gets a little shine on him in this movie, like Swanky does, uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for the Chunky songs. We're living it, baby. We're it's here. It's happening. So Chunky watch is real. <laughs> <laughs> so, Heil, this is the what I was uh, alluding to just a little bit ago. All right, with Diddy Kong. So, so a lot of people have noticed that Diddy Kong has a very brief, but he does have somewhat of a voice because of his cheering. Yeah, and it seemed like a lot of people did not know who the voice of Diddy Kong is because that seems like a big thing, you know? Yeah. The, the you know, voice of Diddy Kong premiering in a movie. And so, uh, after a little bit of research from some people, they found out it is the voice actor Eric Bauza. Love that um, Eric Bauza. And as of right now, Eric Bauza is probably most well-known right now for taking over, like, a lot of the Looney Tune roles right now in the uh, popular HBO Max reboot for the Looney Tune cartoons, you know, as Bugs and Daffy and a lot of the other ones. Um, and according to Bowser, uh Diddy Kong had uh, seemed to have uh, maybe a much slightly bigger role and more lines that seemed to have been cut out of the film to the point where Eric Bowser actually doesn't know if that voice in the final film is actually his still. Oh, wow. You know, I, I could see them not wanting to commit to any voice actor for Diddy. Like, it's one of those things where you don't want to cast a role based off of what's going to be a very small, inconsequential part in this movie. If they do right. do a Donkey Kong movie after this, and of course, Diddy's going to have a bigger, more prominent role in that, and then you'll want to cast the big name for it, you know, and get them locked down. So, yeah, like, uh, that, that makes sense. But, um, we, we got it. We got a clear look at the redesigns for the movie for Diddy and Dixie. And, uh, Chunky didn't get redesigned a whole lot. They did give him the gorilla brow that he's lacking in the games. Um, and in the games, his face is structured like that, those of Kong monkeys, uh, lacking, lacking the ridge, um, above the eyes and they 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 made him more like a gorilla in this movie but other than that his uh his clothing seems virtually identical i i mean we can't see the back of his vest to see if it has that weird green on it but it it, it looks like chunky <laughs> from donkey Kong 64 just with the the um eye, eye ridge uh diddy and dixie they seem to have merged their designs to complement each other better which i don't like because i don't want dixie to just be the miss pac-man to diddy's pac-man right like i don't want them to just be uh oh here's diddy and he's here's female diddy like dixie is so much more than that but they they blended them both so they both take on attributes of each other's clothing so Diddy's um, Diddy's shirt is kind of reimagined more as a basketball jersey um, a little bit. 
Um, it's got the yellow outlines. We saw a little bit of this in the poster, but it's got the yellow outlines now um, on the top and the bottom. And um, Dixie's shirt seems to be complementary to Diddy's, where it's pink and white, and it also seems to has a uh, seems to have a star, a white star on it, similar to Diddy or Tootie from off of Banjo Kazooie. And, uh, you know, Dixie still has her beret, um, doesn't have her knee pads, unfortunately, but Diddy still has a hat, but it doesn't seem to be a Nintendo hat. You know, like, that's not a thing in the movie, which yeah. I, I understand why they changed it for the movie, but. This is the lingering question, because, like, we have, like, good visuals of D- Diddy and Dixie now, just from people putting off-cam footage up online, but a big mystery, I probably not going to have solved until like the movie the movies like physical and digital releases out yeah um but rather than the nintendo logo both diddy has a pin on his hat and dixie has a pin again returning on her hat yeah um after they dropped the rare pin after the buyout but i cannot tell what either of them are they're both this it's a yellow shape on both of them but like I, I, my first assumption would be like, oh, Diddy's got like a star pin, but it, it looks like this like circle with a with a yellow thing going through it. I, I really don't know what it is, and I'm curious to find out eventually. I, I've heard speculation that these pins are bananas. I've all I also like looking at it. Think it m- could be uh, a golden representation of Donkey Kong's head or something like that. Um, um, L in the chat says uh, it's hard to tell 100% but it seems both Diddy and Dixie have a golden banana coin on them banana coin um, maybe maybe i could i could see it being that it's really hard to tell it's clear yeah. it's clear like they started with Dixie right and they wanted to evoke the rare pin but it can't be the rare pin even though i'm sure microsoft would have signed off like yeah get the rare get the rare logo in the movie yeah but no they they would they would want I, I do think like it I do think she should have some kind of pin on her hat, even in the yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, it doesn't have to be the rare logo. Just put something up there so it's less plain. It's just surprising yeah, to me. I'm glad that, they made that choice. It's surprising to me that they gave Diddy uh, a pin in return then. Like, uh, you know, it, it's nice that he took something from Dixie if Dixie is taking so much from him in this movie. But um, other than that, though, I really like the way the characters look. Like, if this was Diddy's shirt, if, if this is the way he... His, his clothing looked in the game. Like, keep the Nintendo hat because that's iconic. But I, I do like this redesign for Diddy. I, I think he looks, uh, he, he looks cool in this. They did separate their eyes a little bit. Um, they don't have the, um, like, Yuna eyes or the really yeah, close together eyes anymore. They're kind of, like, brought more in line with, like, how Donkey Kong's own design looks, where he's, like, taking a bit more from the, the arcade artwork and kind of, like, merging the sensibilities, but I really like what they've come up with. Like both of these characters, like, yes, they look different from how they do in the games, but they both still read as Diddy and Dixie and they are very emotive and adorable. And I like it. Yeah. So when Diddy is cheering, um, that that's like the time we really see him upright. And to me, he, he comes across as a much younger version of Diddy than we've ever seen. Like even in Donkey Kong Country One, he he seems much more like a little kid, 
like like just 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 like i because i've always like aged diddy at the start of the series to be like you know 11 or 12 or so like he's he's right on the cusp of adolescence but he's still very much a kid but this seems like he's he's even younger than that and it, it makes sense that this is you know pre the cinematic equivalent of donkey kong country or whatever if, if this is like more of a prequel to whatever that will be and this is diddy before he embarks on his um apprenticeship with donkey kong you know um if he's just this little kid who really looks up to donkey kong like i could see this being the diddy in the games when before he really struck up this um this partnership with donkey kong and he just idolized him um so that's really cool to really get this kind of, like I, we were talking about the Brooklyn stuff and how it's, it's seldom seen aspect of Mario and Luigi's backstory. This is what I always imagined in my head as Diddy's backstory, this little kid who just adored Donkey Kong and was cheering him on. And so that, that, that part really made me smile. Like, Oh, like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, it's adorable. And I think we got like just the right amount of Diddy for this movie. Yeah. Which is, we got to see him and be happy and immediately understand his role in the society, him as a character, what, like, day-to-day is probably like being around Diddy Kong. (laughs) But it leaves enough to your imagination for if they were to do a a dedicated Donkey Kong movie with him in it. Right. For me, this this was a bigger tease than Yoshi. For, I mean, yeah, Diddy, <laughs> Diddy Kong is my all-time favorite character. I adore the little bugger. Uh, so, of course, this is the movie that's going to resonate the most with me. And Dixie's my second favorite character. So, I, I was in heaven every time they appeared on screen. And uh, I, I broke down. Not, I didn't cry. Okay, I, I never cried. But my eyes started watering a second time every time Dixie hugged Diddy. Because just that little unspoken aspect of their relationship, Cameron, you've often said one of the great things about Diddy and Dixie is the relationship just is. It's it's never... The, this is why I didn't really like them in the cartoon, because the cartoon, they go full-on Three's Company sitcom plot, like, oh, Donkey Kong's in love with Dixie, is my misunderstanding. <laughs> what? And then you have that awful, which just kind of become a meme of, of Dixie's face, whenever she thinks... <laughs> that gift? Yeah, don- Donkey's coming <laughs> on her. But... In the games, Diddy and Dixie, there's no drama. They're, they're they're just boyfriend and girlfriend, but it doesn't define them. And so just their little silent interactions in the crowd, engaging with each other, hugging each other. I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was great. It was uh, the, the best version of Diddy and Dixie I've, I've seen outside of the video games. And again, it's just the cartoon I'm comparing it with. But still, I loved it. <laughs> It's such a small moment, but it's still, like, really nice to see, you know, just very quick, just like that. Yeah, I like, it. it's a Mario movie. I don't need it. I don't need the focus to be on Diddy Kong, but I'm just glad that, I'm just glad to see them. I'm just glad that, to confirm that they're part of this universe. Like, obviously they would be, but uh, it's it's nice to have it confirmed. You know, usually with Donkey Kong and, and his interactions with Mario, it's it's really from the prism of the arcade games. And, you know, occasionally when Donkey Kong needs a partner, you'll get Diddy. And then maybe you'll get somebody else. But, yeah, yeah, they're, they're always kind of kept more at arm's length, um, which, we'll, which we'll get into in a little bit here. But... 
it's it's like what we've been saying from from what sources have been telling us that Donkey Kong Country is just basically the Donkey Kong brand now. And I think that was really apparent here where, yeah, you're not going to get too deep into Donkey Kong lore. But yeah, of course, Diddy's going to be there cheering Donkey Kong on. Of course, Dixie's going to be there. Chunky's going to be in there. Why the fuck? Like, let's go crazy. (laughs) Swanky Kong's a burning corpse on the side of the road. Uh, it it really made me happy, and um, ju- just like even even seeing like Dixie and Diddy and, and Chunky going all when Mario turned into a cat, I was like, that's an appropriate reaction. Like when when we saw that bit in the trailer when Mario becomes Cat Mario and Donkey has this sort of reaction, like, oh, you're a cat. It's like this seems kind of dated. This this humor, like this this jaw character, kind of like, oh, you've been emasculated because you're something less than the like i i don't know like alpha male youtube video primers that are just fucking toxic sludge uh but then to have like the 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 kongs in the crowd just say oh we love cats i was like all right hell yeah i'm on board with this again uh so i i liked everything about them except maybe uh I'm, i'm not completely sold on dixie wearing something more like visually similar to Diddy, but I, I, I like the way she looks and I like the way Diddy looks and uh, Chunky. I'm just happy to see Chunky, whatever. And, and like, I, I'm coming into this with the understanding that like, if they make a Donkey Kong spinoff, these, these characters ends will probably go through another pass. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're cameos. I mean, they're, they're just background details. They yeah. clearly put thought into them more thought than a lot of the generic bucket hat wearing Kongs. Um, because they clearly wanted to make sure these popped as the characters. Like, you know who these are yeah. if you're in the know. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. Because Donkey Kong starts talking. So I was afraid. I, I, I let, let, me, let me be honest. I, I've been trying to be optimistic about Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I've never been fully excited about it because I've never really gotten into Seth Rogen as, as an actor. Um, and, and part of that is just my own personal biases. Um, I, I've never had the feud with Seth Rogen that I've had with Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds knows what he did. Um, we, we don't have this legendary rivalry. I just, the whole Judd Apatow kind of stable of actors have never really done it for me. And I feel like it kind of... I've just never been a, a fan of, of those movies. And I've never, like, I think Seth Rogen has been kind of just the most innocuous of the bunch where he's just kind of there. And and I accept him, but I've never really been like, yeah, Seth Rogen, oh, 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 let's go. And so when he was Donkey Kong, like, I think I would have been more excited about Jack Black as Donkey Kong or a, a lot of the other cast as, as Donkey Kong. But I, you know, I I wasn't against it either. I was just kind of sadly neutral and it, it was a weird place to be in as the guy who runs dk vine because i felt like i should have been more excited but i was just like well let's wait and see and then we heard a little bit of the voice and i was like well at the very least i'm glad he's just he just sounds like a guy i'm I'm glad that he's not doing oh me donkey kong oh i eat my poop he's <laughs> not he's not doing big dumb character right voice. right but i have to <laughs> say more so than cranky fred armison's cranky which which I got used to, and I was fine with. 
I grew to like Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. It, 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 after a while, I stopped hearing Seth Rogen and I just started hearing this version of Donkey Kong. So I think it really it, suits this version. I think it worked well. Yeah. So I think it was, I think it was good casting ultimately. Like all the memes aside about the Seth Rogen laugh, I think he actually really worked as this take of Donkey Kong, which I, yeah. I, I, I have to say the, the first few seconds of this movie that introduced Donkey Kong on screen just I have no notes. 100% perfect. Chef's kiss, all that. It's yeah, exactly the right way to introduce Donkey Kong in a movie um, with this. It, it felt like adapting the intro to Donkey Kong Country is, on, is what it feels like. A little bit, yes. With Donkey Kong just completely embarrassing Cranky and all of his, like, dorkiness yeah like i i think the difference in depiction here is that the the donkey kong country donkey kong is more of a chill 90s dude like a a ninja turtle by way of a primate where um this donkey kong is more of a himbo he he, he's he's more (laughs) of um like a a well-meaning but but kind of um narcissistic gym rat who um who, who likes to show off and, but, but, but what, what unites him with the video game Donkey Kong is that kind of um, sense that he doesn't want to accept the full responsibility that waits before him as the presumed future leader of Kong society. And, and he's kind of got, he's, he's kind of too, chill and preoccupied with his life as it is rather than what his life needs to become to be an effective leader. So I, th- I thought it worked well, just like Cranky's reinterpretation of this movie. I thought it kept the true essence of the character and just reinterpreted for the story and the world they were telling. I was also very pleasantly surprised just how large a part of this movie Donkey Kong is. Surprisingly yeah. large. Like the entire back half feels like it's a it is a Mario and Donkey Kong buddy picture. Yeah, he's in the is. whole rest of the movie. And, and like when they announced Seth Rogen was going to be Donkey Kong, we thought it was going to be a small bit. I didn't really expect him to have more prominence than Luigi in the Super Mario <laughs> Brothers movie. <laughs> Um, That's true. He is in the movie a lot more than Luigi. He was effectively Luigi in this, not not in characterization, but just in he was Mario's most steadfast partner aside from Peach and Toad. So yeah, I thought Mario and DK had uh, pretty good chemistry all throughout the movie. Well, yeah, like it, it's I, I I like that they 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 eventually broke bread, right? They eventually made peace with each other, but. Um, Maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Jeff also pointed this out, and it it was true to me, too. There's this bit that I really, really, really liked that really was like if DK Vine wrote this screenplay and it was like mandated that Donkey Kong be in it. This is the line that we would have had in it. It's when they're on the Rainbow Road and Donkey Kong drives up to Mario and just out of nowhere says, I hate you. (laughs) That's perfect. That's, that's that's the perfect level of Donkey Kong is still feeling animosity towards this guy, 
he's he's never going to be completely on board with him but they're going to work together they might even become friends but there's always going to be that rivalry between them and that's right. kind of what Mario and Donkey Kong became in the games post Mario Kart 64 so yeah like that that that's perfect that that's that's exactly like i i didn't know what from the trailers what to expect especially that one where he be- gets the firepower and and you know they're they're like storming the mushroom kingdom together but yeah i loved it i i, it, I loved it's, everything it's funny how much this how much more this movie makes me open to the idea of more direct interaction between donkey kong and mario in the actual games and i think i've kind of pinpointed why and it's i think a lot of my resistance in the past like especially just being a teenager who hated everything um of seeing mario and donkey kong interact was that well every time mario and donkey kong interact they're just going to reset donkey kong to be an homage to the arcade game things are going to be heavily weighted on the mario side of things yeah this This, though, we've never actually seen I, this dynamic between Mario and Donkey Kong, which is these, like, te- people who are the, these friends who are the tense with each other, but ultimately do have this begrudging respect for one another and are working in tandem and have this united world where, like, both of them feel like major players and the people around them are important and well, and like that- just that, that one bit, the extended scene we get of Mario and Donkey Kong, just sort of like tag team teaming Bowser's army. Essentially. Like I felt like I was looking at Donkey Kong as if he were in super Mario 3d world. And I liked what I was seeing. Well, And that's, that's a great point because a lot of the fear we, we've always had, especially in the buyout era was Donkey Kong just reverting to a villain. And, and you're the Cameron Regal thesis states that Donkey Kong can never be betrayed as a villain if he has Diddy with him. And that, that, that is true. Uh, and, and this movie, you know, you're going to have Donkey Kong in your super Mario brothers movie. Oh no. How are they going to betray Donkey Kong? And it's as a hero. There's never any question that he that he's not a hero, and, and and any villain like aspects of him just comes from this rivalry with Mario. The fact that they're pitted against each other, and I like that. Like like I think we're far past the point where we need to worry about this. That that this this fear that Donkey Kong is just going to be mischaracterized going forward in the games. I don't think we have to worry about that anymore. I know and, the movie isn't reflective of the games, but I also think they're also being much more mindful yeah. of how Donkey Kong is portrayed in games. So, and yeah. like his identity in this movie is Donkey Kong Country. We get Donkey Kong Country music. We have Donkey Kong Country characters. We get the rocket barrel of all things from Donkey yeah. Kong Country Returns. That was a surprise. Yeah. So after Mario defeats donkey kong which i like how close it was i like that mario essentially wins by the by the skin of his teeth right like it and but donkey kong's humiliated because he lost and he never loses especially to 
this this joke of a human being. Um, so they all go back to what I assume, I think we all assume is supposed to be Donkey Kong's treehouse. It's on the docks, but it looks like it's loosely modeled after his uh, jungle hut from Returns. For more on that, mm-hmm. go back and listen to the four-hour episode that Dustin and I did on the history of Donkey Kong's treehouses. And then stuff. listen to it again. You, listen to it, you know, six times in a row. Make a day Let out it all of it. sink in. Yeah. So inside of Donkey Kong's cinematic treehouse, there is a picture on the wall. It's pinned to the wall. And it's uh, it's Funky Kong. It's surfing Funky Kong. Although the, the way the artwork looks, it looks like some of the Retro Studios concept art we saw um, in their games. Because it looks like it's a very squat, disproportioned version of Funky Kong. But it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. clearly funky. It- very stylized yeah. looking, and it might just be that we aren't getting a good look at it, but it's it's plainly funky. Like, there's no ambiguity. And yeah. there's somebody surfing behind him, but we I don't think we, we've found clear footage uh, of who that's going to be. Because this is a very small image in the theater, so it's already blown up from, like, the pirated footage to get a clear look at this. I don't I don't know if we're going to... It's going to be a while until we can determine who this surfing figure... It might just be Donkey Kong surfing with his bud. But that also raises the question of, is Donkey Kong Island a thing? Is the Jungle Kingdom actually an island? They're surfing. I know We know there's an ocean in this movie, but anyway. Yeah, um, th- this is the only explicit reference to Funky. I know there's some question... In the key art for this episode, actually, you can look. There, there's the Kong that we had initially pegged as Funky and the Kong we had pegged as Kitty. Um, they look very much like Funky or like a redesigned Funky and Kitty Kong. But knowing what we know about the Kongs that are very explicitly supposed to be those Kongs, Diddy, Dixie, Chunky, and Swanky, uh, and how they appeared on the, the poster, the Ring of Kong artwork, and then were incorporated in the movie in a very obvious way, I don't know if that's actually supposed to be funky or if they just decided, you know what, we'll leave funky for the actual Donkey Kong movie. Um, Yeah, like with that picture in DK's hut, I think like being so accurate to Funky's design, if any of these Kongs were meant to be funky, he would have looked like that. Yeah, I I get the impression with characters like like Funky that... You In this movie, because you might do a Donkey Kong movie down the line, you don't want to rigidly define their role Yeah. for right now. Like, um, there's a scene in the movie where they're putting the go-karts together and there's like a call, a singular like mechanic Kong kind of facilitating the whole process. And in the moment, I'm thinking, well, that could be funky. But if they do a Donkey Kong movie down the line, you don't want to have him that cemented as, oh, that's his job. That's what he does on Donkey Kong Island. Because you might want to do something more with him. Yeah, you know, our our theory was that Funky creates the Mario Karts. um, And they do come from Kong Civilization. It's never properly explained. Because Cranky says, you're going to need carts. Okay, you, you have my army. But we're going to need carts. And so they just go to this temple garage where they have this mechanism in place where you can just use a dial and basically custom build your cart with no mind to cost or engineering. It just it just happens. And it's never explained. A lot of this movie doesn't explain 
like the details like power-ups are a thing and i think the only time power-ups are ever explained is we see a field of fire flowers but why are they in these blocks why are they why are they a constant fixture in this world i guess that's something to point out in this movie as well uh Donkey Kong's blowing mechanic showed up in a way that I actually liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty erotic scene with him and uh, Swanky in the hospital bed. I wasn't, it wasn't. wasn't ex- uh, yeah, so, you know, it, we, we, were, we were right on the money for everything except Funky being the mastermind behind the cards because that would make sense. But you're right, Cameron. You don't you don't you don't want to originally define all of the Kongs in this. Donkey and Cranky get the definition. You got cameos by Diddy, Dixie, Chunky, and Swanky. R.I.P. But Funky is, is kind of a big name that that might sell tickets for the Donkey Kong movie alone because Funky is a meme. People know Funky. So maybe maybe just leave that out of this movie. It was, It's already got way too much going on. Um, right. So, yeah, anyway. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, they, they drive out of the, the Jungle Kingdom. They're all in their go-karts. Cranky's with them. Donkey's with them. And, uh, they're like, oh, we're gonna run out of road. And then, and they're like, oh, really? And then it just, the rainbow road's there, and that's never explained. <laughs> Peach says, you know, do they have this where you come from? Or, or something like that. And Mario says, like, driving on rainbows? No. And I thought the better line for that would be, no, most people in New York take the subway. Oh, uh, but, now that would have been a joke. That would have, yeah, that would have been solid. Give me an Oscar. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and and like th- th- I, I feel like th- this is the part of the plot that we had already figured out. The Koopa Troop ambushes them on the Rainbow Road. Um, it leads to Mario and Donkey Kong falling off, presumably to their death, the way Peach and Toad react, and the Kong army is captured. Peach and Toad, I, I how did Peach and Toad get away? Um. I think uh, I don't think when they the blue... do. No, they? they they do. So what happens yeah, is do, the right. uh, the blue shell Koopa crashes like straight into uh, Mario and Donkey Kong, and that like crumbles the bridge on one side. So Mario and DK fall into the ocean, and Toad and Peach are on the other gotcha. side as they watch oh, them fall. Oh, that's right, because they go back to the Mushroom Kingdom alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah they 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 have to run back to help evacuate since Bowser's like about to land. And Cranky Kong, uh, with with the other Kongs, gets captured by the Koopa Troop, which shades of Donkey Kong Jr., except this time it isn't Mario abducting him, it's Bowser. So we, we do get the, the caged aspect of Cranky, and then Donkey Kong eventually rescuing his dear old dad. But, man, it feels good to be able to say that just out and open again, right? Like, it's been, it's been a while since I've just said, yeah, Cranky, Donkey Kong's dad. And we yeah. have any raised eyebrows about it. Don- Donkey and Cranky have a real Augie Doggy Doggy Daddy vibe in this movie. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, M- Mario and Donkey Kong though they they get they get um stranded together. Like there's like this um what was that movie with uh Paul Dano and uh the the corpse of uh Harry Potter where they're they're stuck on an island Oh, together? Swiss Army Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. 
Uh, except uh, Mario's not a corpse who farts. If, if if only one of them was a farting corpse, <laughs> yeah. this would have been like an infinitely yeah, that's, better that's movie. That's your takeaway from this episode. Watch the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's just like the cat in the hat in Swiss Army. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hurt my side there laughing. Uh, yeah, so so they, they fall into the ocean and they get swallowed by the eel from off of Super Mario 64. And uh, w- inside the eel, uh, well, well, at first I think they're they're floating um, in in the in the flotsam. Uh, Donkey Kong's like holding on to a barrel, right? And they're they're just stranded in the ocean. And I and the the part of me, the Sea of Thieves player in me, was just like, oh, they're gonna take a mer person back. And then I remembered, no, <laughs> obviously, no, that's not that's not a thing in this movie. Stop confusing the DKU with the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, but <laughs> they get swallowed by the eel. And it's inside the eel where Donkey Kong and Mario finally opened up to each other. And they have a heart-to-heart. And they both realize, yeah, they're both disappointments to their fathers. But I was like, oh, I like this. Oh, I, I like this way to kind of bridge the divide between the characters and, and they again, can relate like Mar- to one another. Mario's whole thing with his dad is is invented for this movie. Donkey Kong and Cranky that's that's game accurate for the most part, at least for the original Donkey Kong Country. But yeah, it was like this is this is the most game accurate translation of DK and Cranky in any form of media, and I really liked they use that to tie in with Mario's arc. It's one of the few times the movie brought something back from Mario's backstory and made it work to drive the narrative forward. I appreciated that. That 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 was that was good bit of screenwriting. Bravo. Anyway, they realized that they uh one of Donkey Kong's jet thrusters from his cart is still in the the eel with them and that's where they turn it into a makeshift rocket barrel and it, it's a very accurate rocket barrel sequence from off of Retro's Donkey Kong Country games, except with Mario riding on it instead of, you know, Diddy, Dixie, Cranky, or Funky. I will say, I do think it's really clever how they do the rocket barrel. It's just sort of like, they sort of like makeshifted from like what was like essentially kind of like a rocket on his cart. Yeah. And they sort of yeah. just use that to propel themselves out of the eel. Well, we, we had seen, you know, Donkey Kong's cart in, in this footage. And we were like, oh, he's got two twin rocket barrels on his cart. That's a clever reference. And it turns out that it, in the context of the movie, that's how they explain and, the origin of the rocket barrel. Is And they even foreshadow it like earlier where DK launches one of them as a missile. Yeah. Yeah. So that they only have one inside the eel. Oh, that's it, right. It was bit- it was very well built up. Yeah. And you don't you don't expect that level of intricate thought put behind the rocket barrel from the Donkey Kong Country game. The latter day Donkey Kong Country games. Um I, I wish more stuff in this movie had that kind of origin, right? Like there's too much in this movie that is just taken at face value. Oh, it's like the thing from off of the games. Oh, you know this. You remember this, you you corn shucking Midwesterners. That's Hollywood executives <laughs> talking, right? Like, yeah. Oh, you know this reference. Laugh it up. Give us money. Dangling <laughs> keys. Um I and that's what I really liked about the 1993 movie is e- even though, you know, it wasn't everybody's taste, I liked that it found a reason to explain like 
even even stupid stuff that aren't really explained, like the Bob Om in the movie that's like a wind-up toy with Reebok sneakers on the bottom, <laughs> it at least has this like sort of um, tangibility to it that uh, I wish more stuff in this movie did. And, of course, it's, it's the Donkey Kong stuff that works the best in this movie, which is frustrating because I feel like it's the Donkey Kong stuff that holds back everything else in this movie. I just want a Donkey Kong movie now. Like, <laughs> they did such a good job with the Donkey Kong stuff. To the detriment of everything else, it's clear everybody just wanted to make a Donkey Kong movie. Why are they wasting their time? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but if, if it came down to it, if I had the choice between saying... Like, if they came up to me while writing this movie and said, Hey, so should we put this whole big Donkey Kong part in here, or should we save that and then focus more on the Mushroom Kingdom, really let the movie breathe? I still probably would have been like, no, cram that shit full of as much Donkey Kong as you can. I have to have Swanky and Chunky or the movie's canceled. <laughs> You're not getting my funding if I don't see those two Kongs specifically. No, they're, they're you just... zoom in on this Rambi emblem on the cart for two seconds or so help me God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miyamoto ha- has a quote that was printed in on Screen Rants the other night, which we'll get to in a bit. But it speaks to the decision to put Donkey Kong in this movie, which we'll, we'll discuss before this episode's over. So... Anyway, uh, Peach and Toad, and again, the sequence of events, the timing makes no sense, right? But like, Peach and Toad return to the Mushroom Kingdom just before Bowser arrives. And Peach reluctantly agrees to marry Bowser, I think just to buy time, right? Until they figure out what to do. Um, Mario and Donkey Kong then make it back to the Mushroom Kingdom by virtue of being on the rocket barrel. And, uh, they, they like, intrude upon the wedding um peach uh you know had has made her stand against bowser and says no i won't marry you uh and and uh there's a big kerfluffle there's a big uh ruckus in 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 uh in the makeshift chapel and of course king king bobom is there king boo was there i think any other notable cameos in in the wedding party those were the two i noticed um uh, it was those two. There was a Yoshi egg on the like reception table. Oh, somebody um, left the Yoshi egg as a gift. Yeah. Oh, that's that's <laughs> fun. Uh, again, like, why are they foreshadowing Yoshi so much when the Yoshi thing was the stinger, the teaser, the the, the 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 sequel bait, the teaser? I mean, yeah, this it, they're seeding as where the egg came from. I think. Oh, at least. that makes sense. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. I I think one of the maybe unintentionally funniest things in this movie for me was um, in the middle of this this fight that breaks out at the wedding. Like, we've seen King Babam and King Boo, and King Babam is being set up for use later. Yeah. But because of that, when the fighting starts, there's a good portion of it where he's just chilling in his seat. <laughs> doing nothing. So it takes too much effort for a big bomb guy to get up. I wasn't the only one, right? When when they saw King King Bomb and King Boo in the wedding party, were you furiously scanning for Wart or even Mamie K. Rule? I, I was um, scanning, but not for anybody specific. Okay. Yeah, I was just looking for any sort of character cameos. The scene goes by so fast that I just didn't have time I, to really look. I was a little bit disappointed that they 
didn't use the like a Luigi's Mansion influence design for King Boo because I'm thinking like, well, come on, you have a you're you're a movie adaptation. You have free reign, or you should have free reign to reinterpret this character. I will Go with say, the version everybody likes. It it would have been nice to see Ward or some sort of reference to that, but you know, I you know can can get everything. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I, I don't know. This is where I started to kind of lose interest in the movie because the Donkey Kong stuff was mostly over. Uh, <laughs> there, there's, there's this nice bit where Donkey Kong rescues Cranky. And, and Cranky says, you did good, son, in his Bernie Sanders voice. And, and you, can, you can do your little peck dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And I, I like that the movie stopped and just had that little bit of resolution between them. Because at that point, Cranky's yeah. a non-factor in the story. But we saw Donkey Kong rescue Cranky Kong, like in Donkey Kong Jr. That's right. I said it. And that's great. That's great. It's great. Because Donkey Kong Jr. doesn't get enough love nor references. So yeah, um, it, it gives it gives uh, DK, it, it lets you finish up with DK's arc. Yeah. And it kind of abridges the the arcade history of donkey kong we we get a little bit of a, this abridged donkey kong and donkey kong jr with the ring of kong and then rescuing cranky like yeah as kind of just just very very like condensed backstory i don't know where stanley the Bugman comes into it in this continuity maybe he doesn't um stan yeah you would think stanley would have been in the brooklyn stuff somewhere ah wh- whatever um, I'm already complaining there's too much going on and I'm like, why didn't they put in Wart? Why didn't they put in Stanley? What the hell is wrong with them? <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't expecting the final fight to wind up back in Brooklyn. Like I, I, I thought we were just done with Brooklyn. And, and, and again, that, that would be poor screenwriting to not come back to that. But I, I just didn't, at this point, I didn't think the movie was going to go back there because in the mario narratives you very rarely return to i guess the the 1993 movie did of course they like they returned to brooklyn after it was all over but um the super show they only like occasionally nodded to going back to the real world like when peach had millie vanilli tickets but um excuse me princess (laughs) toadstool in the cartoon but uh, the, yeah, the, the the final fight takes them to Brooklyn, and this is where Luigi finally has his hero moments. Where um, so Bowser um, does, does Bowser use the superstar then, or is it um, he never actually uses it? Does he? He, he never gets to use it, um, which I, I I thought was a weird thing. Um, like I didn't expect the superstar to actually be the power up when in the lead up to this movie, I thought he would be going around to different kingdoms. Yes. Getting yeah. power stars like in Super Mario 64 to yeah, like yeah. make himself stronger. Like I, I thought each kingdom was going to have a star and he was like like Thanos. And maybe that would have been too much like Thanos getting the infinity stones. And and it and it kind of seems like the star is not like the key to him taking over these kingdoms. It's just like a an additional like threat of like because bowser is in this movie plenty capable of everything on his own like he his forces take down the kong army very readily um decimate the mushroom kingdom pretty easily um 
but like he he's taken like the thing to beat him out of play and then dangled it in front of everybody's faces where they can see it at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, like I I thought it was a, a MacGuffin. It was fairly weak, especially when it just turned out to be just the power up temporary effects like Bowser like you've got like 15 seconds of invincibility maybe at most here like what's your what's your play what's your play here how are you using this to take over the world and um convince this woman who has no interest in you to marry you but all right whatever yeah it was surprising that it was just a superstar and not like a power star or or more of a crystal coconut type um like all powerful like wishing stone or whatever but yeah um bowser's breathing fire at mario it looks like mario's done for and luigi grabs a, a manhole cover and shields mario with it and like marches towards the fire to protect him uh, that was nice i'm glad that luigi got his moment i don't know I still feel like they didn't do enough with Luigi. I, I still feel bad for Luigi fans and just the character himself. Like, I, 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 I'm glad that it wasn't just Peach getting abducted. I don't think you needed anybody abducted, but I don't know. They should have yeah, done more. If it, like, if it definitely had to be one of them, I guess I'd rather it be Luigi than Peach. But, uh, like... We said it earlier, I feel like you, even if you had Luigi get captured, you still could have done a little more with him. Yeah, he, You could have had him do more things in the lead up to him being captured, Yeah, which is what they gave Cranky to do. He he gets captured, but he got to do a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so Mario and Luigi get the superstar. They go... Yeah, I... I'm glad that they let that song play instead of, I don't know, putting All-Star over it. Oh, or God. God. <laughs> I mean, that would have been the only full piece of Donkey Kong music in the movie then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would use the Donkey Kong Donkey Konga 2 cover. They've already got the rights to it. it. as from Donkey Konga 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... They they get the superstar. They beat the piss out of Bowser. I don't know if he actually peed himself. I didn't, you know, I'll off the screen capture it when I get it on uh, home media. But then they feed him a poison mushroom, which they do establish earlier in the movie. Like I complained about the lack of Chekhov's gun. That is a Chekhov gun that comes back into play. They establish the poison mushroom. They shrink Bowser down, which I'm like, can't Bowser just like hurt himself to like because because it that- seemed like the effects wore off on Mario. Yeah, that kind of raised an eyebrow for me. Like, couldn't he, like, just pinch himself or, like, goad one of the toads into, like, shaking his cage? Right, right. Like, the the whole the whole concept of power-ups in this movie, I feel like, was the most, um, like, just, just unestablished little bit. Like, they, they got him in there, but they never really took the time to adequately explain the rules. Which... Granted, it's an unenviable thing to have to write into your movie. Yeah. I know, I know, but like, that would be part of the fun, right? Like, breaking it down and, and figuring out, like, the whys of the Mario universe. I, I don't know, but, yeah, they they, sh- they put M- Bowser in a cage and, and keep him locked away in, in Peach's castle, I presume. It's weird how nobody in Brooklyn was freaking out again o- over the demon turtle and the gorilla with the tie 
Yeah, you don't really see anyone in the streets. Yeah, and even Mario's yeah. family was just like, yeah, Mario! And it's not like, oh my god, it's the end times. <laughs> yeah, the giant crater in the middle of New York seems like it should be a much bigger deal. <laughs> right, right. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, it's... Um... Like, like I said, they they should have resolved it with plumbing, and and I'm disappointed they didn't. I I guess like the closest thing to that is just that he sent the, I, I, it's a bonsai bill to me, but I think they call it in the movie a bomber bill. Okay. Um, right. sending yeah. it beyond the pipe. Yeah, I I know, but like that that should like that but even. Should- uh, to be honest, when that happened, I thought for a second like M- Mario, wait, your solution is to like send the nuke. To, to another populated area. Uh, yeah, I, I initially thought he was sending it back to Brooklyn. And, like, that would have been the end credits would just be like a I, smoldering crater. I, I uh, didn't understand that he was, like, meant to send it to, like, that space between spaces where it just wouldn't take out anything. But Yeah. It still seems volatile. Like, what if it what if it floats back? How does that work? How does he know it's going to be safe there? It definitely was because it caused that backfire. Right, right. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like that, cause then that would have proved to Mario's dad, I made the right decision in becoming a plumber. Now Mario's dad should just think, oh, you should, why do you put all your money into a plumbing business? You should have been a freelance vigilante, a bounty hunter. I told you you're ruining your life. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, folks. We got two calls we need to take. Um, people, a couple people did call in who weren't staff. Um, I, I, I kept the pool very limited to patrons this time around. And so some of our patrons saw the movie and wanted to share their thoughts. And then we're going to break down some final points, including us complaining about the licensed music, uh, some of the controversies surrounding the credits, and some other fun things to discuss. Let's go ahead and play that first call. Hi, uh, long time watcher, first time caller. Uh, I'm calling because, uh, I'm calling because you said you were going to do a full, uh, deep dive, uh, onto the Mario movie during the conversation. And you mentioned some earlier, uh, episodes going through the, uh, Mario movie trails and whatnot, uh, about your connection to the, uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Show and, uh, how you have a specific nostalgic connection to it because it came out when you were a child and how probably the creators of the movie did too, given all the references and because they're American and they're in the right age bracket to appreciate it. And I thought you might like to know that uh, it is, that nostalgia is not only exclusive to that age bracket. Uh, I'm 18 years old. I'm, a, uh, I'm right smack dab in the middle of the Zoomer generation. And I have a very, uh, have a very um, loving nostalgic connection to the Super Show just because um, it was available on Netflix. And I was just, you know, I've essentially been a fan of Mario for as long as I've had conscious memories. So I was you know, looking for any content available, and the Super Show was what was available. I remember very distinctly watching it at the same time as I was playing my very first Mario game, which was New Super Mario Brothers Wii. So I just think that's sort of a testament to like um to like I guess like the power of the uh of the internet and like the and sort of like the streaming age that I grew up with. Because even I could um develop this sort of the same sort of like loving connection to an objectively very bad um T V show from many decades ago. So uh I also appreciate all the Super Show references, and uh, thank you for listening to the call. It's just another we could both get hooked on the brothers in the same way. 
Well, thank you for the call. First time caller. Um, yeah, you know, like, I, I understand the Super Show is dumb. And I know to some people, they view it the same way I view the Donkey Kong Country cartoon with distaste. Because it, it got so much wrong. Um, which <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think a bigger point of contention with the Super Show is just it. It, it's it's a little hokey. Oh, it, it is. has a lot of animation errors, and yeah. it's, it's, it uses licensed music terribly. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I get, it. I, I completely get it. Um, and I think it's an age thing, and it's really cool to hear I mean, you know a Zoomer discover the media that I loved and I considered like yeah. the Bible of Mario when I, I mean, was a kid. The hokiness is part of the charm. Yeah, it was extremely formative in how I understood Mario. For sure, for sure. And I think like one of the aspects of the Super Show that isn't canon accurate that I do kind of miss is the prominence of Super Mario Brothers <laughs> two baddies. Um, like Wart is not a character in the Super Show, but his forces are just part of the Koopa Troop, and so you've got characters like Mouser, who who is like a top lieutenant of Bowser, and you've you've got like various um, v- various different uh, Super Mario Brothers two baddies like uh, Albatos and uh, other characters who just like. Fry guy, Fry guy um, Trotter, <laughs> I think, uh, and I, I just, I just miss that era of Mario where Super Mario Brothers Two had such prominence because it was one of the only Mario games out there at the time. And now, nowadays, we get Shy Guys, we get Birdo if we're lucky, but that stuff isn't really embraced. Bob Oms, of course, quickly became a mainstay, but um, Ninjis, I guess. But yeah, it just. That to me, like that was such a formative part of Mario, and I think when the games really began to stray from that, I didn't fully lose interest in Mario until Donkey Kong Country just changed my life, and it was like a bolt of lightning coming down from the heavens, and I was like, "This is the video game I've always wanted. Everything else is dead to me." Um, but yeah, it, it it's cool, and you know, seeing this movie having. Like the bits like Brooklyn in there play such a part. It has rekindled some embers that have long been buried within me where I'm just like, I remember what it was like to be a really hardcore Mario fan, to like be five years old and have Mario overalls that I wore and pretending to be Mario running around. Yeah, that was me. That was me. And it, it's kind of cool to, yeah, I went into the theater because Donkey Kong's in this, because Cranky Kong's in this, because Swanky Kong is in this. But it was it was cool to be able to have that melding of the different eras of Mario. I think uh, Gibbon brought this up in her call, where you've got the references to the live-action movie, to the Super Show, along with the more retro game references and the more modern contemporary game references, like Super Mario Odyssey. It's all in there in this one package, alongside Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong 64, Donkey Kong Country Returns. I, I don't know, it's just this, like, wonderful buffet you know, that, that yeah, you're going to get sick and, and maybe it's not the most well-balanced meal, but, you know, you're, you're having a good time at the chocolate fountain 
So <laughs> who's to say, you know? Uh, so it, it, it's a really cool experience. And I think there's something in there, no matter what age you are, no matter what your introduction or gateway to either Mario or Donkey Kong were. I, I think there's definitely something in there for any fan of any generation or any upbringing to to really enjoy and appreciate. So, yeah, thank you for the call. All right, should we go ahead and take the second one? I think I'll, we should. I'll, I'll allow that. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's let's go ahead. <laughs> Hello, conversation. It's Gothic Teddy Bear, and wow, what a movie that most definitely was. I was very, very inspired by it, and it was great after so many years to finally see this film. Of course, obviously, being that the DK, you know, by heart fan that I am, and obviously this being the conversation, we must, of course, uh, not overlook the prospects of what the future could be. Now, this is a spoilers episode, so we obviously all know by now, spoilers, the tease at the end of the movie was Yoshi. So that makes me wonder. Obviously, this is the beginning of a Nintendo elimination long, maybe long term, but definitely a continuation of their partnership. I am of the belief that we could have multiple movies developed simultaneously with oversight for Miyamoto, Chris Miliandri, and such. Do you think it's possible that we will get a Yoshi-heavy presence in a Mario movie too? A Yoshi movie, perhaps, even. And Donkey Kong Country, which has been heavily purported to be in the works as well. Both Donkey Kong and Yoshi movies simultaneously. Do you think one might come before the other? Let me know what your thoughts are. All right. Simmer down, everyone. That made you too, Diddy Kong. Well, thank you for the call, Gothic Teddy Bear. So I think uh, so. So here, here's my theory. And granted, like as as far as our movie theories go, I think we're batting about seventy thirty. We're we're getting about seventy percent of it right. We got about thirty percent of it wrong, give or take. Um, maybe I'm weighting that too much in our favor, but. This is this is where I'm thinking it's going to go because I think yeah it's not just going to be well we're going to do the Mario movie sequel and nothing else or we're going to do a Donkey Kong movie and nothing else I think we're going to start getting projects simultaneously in development maybe not to the extent that the MCU got where we have four movies a year five TV shows you know it's not going to be anything that extravagant but I do think you're going to see the the Mario movie sequel which will probably get into territory you know not mined by this movie like yoshi um i don't think it's just going to be like yoshi's island like uh, obviously you can't really do that but you're you're gonna have like just i don't even know what the the structure of the screenplay is going to be it's going to involve bowser for sure probably but um i don't think donkey kong is going to play a large role in the super mario brothers sequel at at most you might get this this passing scene but I think if they are, if their plans are to spin this off into a Donkey Kong movie, and I, I, it's what we have heard, I think they're going to then just take that off into its own direction, and Donkey Kong will be in his own movie. Um, maybe Mario will make a slight appearance in that, but I, I don't. I think the level of interconnectivity isn't going to be what it was in this movie. 
going keep forward. keep the focus where it should be yeah yeah and i think if if they're yeah. like they, they've got they've laid the groundwork now now they can really establish donkey kong like, there, there's not just going to be like super mario brothers movie 2 we're going to go back to the jungle kingdom so all that stuff that's going to be for the yeah, donkey kong movie yeah i I could see Donkey Kong showing up in a reduced role in the the Mario sequel just to like remind you one remind you he's there and like you know they could tease the Donkey Kong spin-off at the end of that movie um but uh the before I even saw the movie what I had said like just based on my impressions of the trailer because I kind of assumed since we saw Yoshi's Island and there wasn't a green Yoshi in the like very brief clip of the like field of Yoshis we saw, I'm thinking, well, okay, two things are going to be two major Mario things are going to be left on the table from this movie, and that's Yoshi and the Koopalings, uh-huh. and that is just ready-made fodder for a sequel and. Uh, well, sure enough, the teaser was Yoshi, which, uh, to t- two comments I have on that, um, uh, A, and I know I'm not the only person to express this sentiment, but, uh, I thought it was hilarious that this movie has the same sequel hook as, uh, the 1998 Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, I did have kids in my theater, um, Fortunately, um, like most of them stopped talking like once the movie started, but uh, distinctly after the credits ended, I heard this uh, this young young kid like he can't have been like any older than like twelve. Say from the back, where was Wario? They lied to us. <laughs> they lied <laughs> they to <lied>? us. <laughs> they promised us Wario. Something like that, but this kid was certain the teaser was going to be Wario. He was very upset. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so it's funny because my entire theater emptied out as the credits were playing. Like, as those character, like the the MCU style, like let let's like have some evocative imagery of this character that this actor played. Um, with their credit, like the Donkey Kong one had his tie and bananas and girders and cranky was the like temple architecture. Um, everybody was getting up and leaving during that part. And I was like, have you, have none of you ever been to a movie in the last 15 years? Have you no media literacy? Sit your ass down. There's more. (laughs) Uh, and by the end of it, it was just me and, uh, like two other people in the theater. So we were the only ones who saw the Yoshi and uh and and of course they 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 went like yeah yeah yoshi it's like all right um i was like wait where's where's timbers island they lied to us Uh, (laughs) but i i guess the reason i don't expect a yoshi solo movie like to come before like a mario sequel that just has yoshi in it is because uh they seem to make very clearly the choice that yoshi just says Yoshi well because he still has his game voice I think it's another thing where like Diddy you don't want to marry yourself to an actor um for just one line of dialogue like I I could see it being like the Super Mario World cartoon where Yoshi actually talks like here, here's the thing like Nintendo's always been iffy on if the Kongs can speak English or not 
uh, Rare seemed to say they could, and then post-Rare and a lot of Cameo games, there's this um, sense that they are speaking their own language that yeah, is translated. I'm very glad this movie made the choice it did, because I feel like that's going to be a bit more put to bed now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think with Yoshi, it's going to be a similar thing where, yeah, we could have Yoshi just be like Groot and say, Yoshi, Yoshi, Yoshi. But that also might seem derivative in this day and age, you know, post-Groot. So, Oh, oh, this, this movie being worried about being doing things that Guardians of the Galaxy oh, did? okay, okay. <laughs> fair play, fair play. Got me there. So I don't know, like I and, and like the temptation to have a big A-lister attached to Yoshi, uh, I, I I think that would be too great then to. I mean, yeah, you could go the Vin Diesel route and just have this A-lister say Yoshi in in different you know fluctuations, but I I don't know. It's to be seen, but no, I don't think it's going to be a Yoshi spinoff movie at all. Now the question is like Yoshi's in Brooklyn, right? Like how are we going to get Yoshi back? Uh, what's what's going to be the the connective tissue there? But yeah, it, it's going to be Yoshi in the Mario sequel for sure. Even if that's not the main plot, like it's just an aspect of the plot, and it's going to be a Donkey Kong movie. Whether whether or not Donkey Kong appears in the sequel, I don't really know. But like, I I think it would be a more limited capacity. Like, hey, just remember Donkey Kong. Don't forget him. He's going to get his own movie. But I think I think we might have some simultaneous development, and then there's the other Nintendo properties that Illumination's probably hankering to get their hands on as well. So I, I think you're going to see like maybe like two features in the works at any given time. Right. Yeah. No name nine 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 says, "Where's the Blastomatic? Freaking liars." <laughs> <laughs> they they did promises. All right, I promised the licensed music breakdown in which we break them down for the, their poor choices in licensed music. So we already mentioned the aha thing, right? And how it deprived us of a really brilliant, like, Donkey Kong medley of music. Um, most of the licensed music that was played in this movie, in my opinion didn't totally match the scene for which it was used for. Now, Cameron, you and I talked about this a little bit, Jeff too, in the inner circle, but, you know, James Gunn, like, I, I think this was an aspect of animated movies going back to Shrek, at least. Like, take these these pop songs, put them in your movie. How fresh is this? Um, right. But, and I no, I don't know what Shrek is. I'm just, this is hearsay. But... It then became sort of ubiquitous in live action movies. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's been a trend, you know, here and there throughout the years, but in recent, in, in the last decade, it was James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy that really made it like a cool thing to do. Like, let's take these vintage songs, dust them off and put them in our movie. But in that movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie that really made this more of a contemporary thing again, it was tied to the character of Peter Quill also played by Chris Pratt. And each song had some thematic relevance for what was happening, what the characters were going through. It wasn't just, we're going to play uh, this song that kind of sounds good to the action. 
uh, even, even if it has no bearing whatsoever. And I feel like that's what this movie did. It really whiffed on some of the choices. I'd, I'd also say, like, we, we made the John James Gunn comparison of, like, these are sta- these are standard pop hits, but they're very thoughtfully used, and they have a an in-character reason to be there. Um, but also, honestly, to give, like, credit where credit is due to Shrek and like at least the first two movies like they will like commit they'll commission like an original version of that pop song for the movie yeah and honestly they they do use them in pretty appropriate ways in the ways that i feel like the film was designed to use them what i would say of the mario movie is like if you're going to put a pop song in your movie because you know that you're you just have the expectation that it's an animated family movie we got to have pop songs D- right. don't use the same songs that are in the movies that are famous for using pop songs <laughs> yeah so cameron you know from from the very beginning before we even have a trailer you were saying van halen's jump was was going to be featured prominently I, I think I gave them too much credit. I, I'm actually disappointed now because I was like, oh, God, that's going to be terrible. And now I'm like, oh, God, that would have been better than what we got. Because <laughs> at least it would have made sense. Uh, so let, let's just start with the one we already talked about uh, when, when they reached the Jungle Kingdom. Uh, I did like in the moment, aha, and, and take on me. Uh, it's it's kind of been retroactively ruined once we heard the music, the soundtrack leak that that we actually got. I'm like, oh god, yeah. that would have been great. Like, somebody's already paired it the scene with with pirated footage to that song, and it syncs up perfectly, and it and it just works so well. Ugh. Right, like I I like I like Take on Me in and of itself as a song. I do think it works in the context of that scene, but like. Man, you cut this like bombastic, like time to two animation arrangement of the Donkey Kong Country title theme, yeah, and just you t- you tossed it in the trash for a song that's existed for decades, yeah. And if you're going to use licensed music, which I I think was probably a studio mandate, right? Or or maybe like they 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 did uh, early screeners for like friends and family and they filled out those note cards and they were like where are all the pop songs nah and they were like, oh we got to change that you know focus groups say we need more pop songs in this let's hack what our movie up what were we thinking not having take on me in this movie yeah so you know of course you know all of the dk vine staff jeff and i are the resident dad rock aficionados so this is this is right up our alley, right? This is our territory. This is our domain. To, to like, what what other music could we use? And so, where was uh, "Jungle Love" by the Steve Miller Band, um, which also, by the way, syncs up perfectly with the Donkey Kong Racing trailer? If you've never tried it, works perfectly. Uh, but the the lyrics could have even worked with Peach and Mario sort of developing their mutual attraction for each other. Uh, which, oh, can I just say, I really liked when Donkey Kong called out their awful flirting. And, uh, he was like, dude, you trying to hit that? What the fuck, bro? Consistently, <laughs> Donkey Kong just 
just needling Mario in petty ways was a hilarious part of the movie. Which is which is such yeah. a great role reversal from the games where it feels like Mario's always got his shit together and Donkey Kong's made to look like a fool. And and here it's just kind of like Don- <laughs> Mario is more relatable here and Donkey Kong is the one who who's sort of... Uh, He's he's not put together. He's obviously got shit he needs to figure out, but he at least has that kind of casual confidence that Mario doesn't. He's he he's got pride and like more like pride and confidence, and Mario has wounded it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the jungle love Peach and Mario developing their attraction because because the the lyrics. I'm just going to give you a few abridged lyrics. I met you on somebody's island. You thought you had known me before. Uh, and then jungle love and the surf and the pouring rain. Everything's better when wet. You know, you could have a really uh, risque scene there with them and like in the lagoon. Anyway, and then later it's uh, you live in a world of illusion where everything's peaches and cream. Oh, like Princess Peach. And, and, uh, and uh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's one suggestion. Now, Thunderstruck by ACDC was playing when they were making their carts. Huh? Wh- <laughs> what? Thunderstruck? I uh, what? Okay, so why not the cover of Blinded by the Light by Manfred Mann's Earth Band? Because uh Bruce Springsteen wrote Blinded by the Light, but uh Manfred Mann has the more famous version where the lyric deuce sounds like douche. And there there's a line in there where it says, And Go Kart Mozart was checking out the weather chart to see if it was safe outside. Right? That that would be a perfect segue into Rainbow Road. <laughs> it does have go-kart. It does it. have yeah. go-kart, yeah. And then there's, uh, and little early pearly came by in his curly whirly and asked me if I needed a ride. And if Professor Chops was in the movie and he, like, pulled go, up then, his little curly whirly. But go-kart Mozart, but the but the kid is Ludwig. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe they're saving that for the sequel then, and then we can have a joke about that. So, uh, we already, we're like holding out for a hero. Fucking get that out of here. Like that. I never want to hear that song again. I th- I think when Loki used it like a couple years ago, I was like, Oh, I haven't heard that song in ages. This is fun. I- I think I think Shrek Two like revoked permission from every other movie to use that song. See, I, haven't it, seen, I haven't seen Shrek Two, so yeah. It, it honestly uses it in a really cool, clever way. Um, and then Mr. Blue Sky is the big damn ending song. Like I love Mr. Blue Sky. It, it's probably ELO's best song. <laughs> but this is the second time that a Chris Pratt character has done his thing. To Mr. Blue Sky in recent history, because it also opened Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And it doesn't really match Mario. Like, why not Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire? You know, you're a shining star, no matter who you are. Like, that that would be, I think, uh, one of the like most perfectly matched paired songs to Mario. Right. Um... And you know we're we're just comparing notes as as we do, and, and we thought about songs that could have played when no licensed music was used, like if they could have rearranged it. Obviously, you don't want Ted Nugent as you know with Cat Scratch Fever in there when Mario is fighting Donkey Kong, because Ted Nugent is a shitbag. He's an atrocious human being. Uh, get get that fucking shit out of there. But you know, 
uh, had the timeline went differently and he was an upstanding citizen, that would have been a fun song. Uh, I know Jeff and I are expected to give a Paul McCartney song, but Jeff suggested Pipes of Peace, which have actually would have been a really elegant closer. Um, I, I, I think like if you don't know it, listen, <laughs> pull it up. Uh, I'm not going to recite all the lyrics, but, uh, like it, it's like, uh, help them to see that the people here are like you and me. Let us show them how to play the pipes of peace, play the pipes of peace. That was so, yeah, like th- there's so much you could have done if you're mining this era of music. Did you do do? Does anybody else have any suggestions? I'm open to uh, them. Frimpy's in the chat says, "All I know is if Koopalings are in the sequel, Wendy needs Millie Vanilli music to accompany her." <laughs> See, I I thought Plasmatics <laughs> because Wendy O like uh like like they're like most of the Koopalings are named after musicians. Yeah, just 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 pair them with the musicians they're named after. Like Lemmy Koopa's on screen, player some Motorhead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iggy get get some Stooges in there, right? Like, mm. the, like again, like it. This is one of the few times when our DK Vine's like music obsession pairs nicely with the actual conversation at hand. So I'm going to feel like very argumentative about this. Um, so yeah, like I, 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 I liked aha in the moment. I like take on me in the moment, but it's been retroactively ruined. And, and I, I don't know when I'll get over it. Speaking of not getting over things. There, there is a controversial thing right now, especially for the rare community, that there has a shocking lack of screen credits for any former rare staff. And I knew, I knew this was going to be the case, but I at least thought when we heard the DK rap was going to be in it, that Grant Kirkhope, George Andreas, and Chris Sutherland, Grant Kirkhope wrote the music, Andreas and Sutherland wrote the lyrics and performed as the DK rappers. I thought they would maybe get a credit in the movie because I know Universal did their due diligence and and called around seeing if they could, like, if they did have the secured rights for the original iteration of the DK rap. And the DK rap is listed in the credits as from Donkey Kong 64. Right. Yeah. And, and like, since we didn't touch on it earlier, like, I did really love the use of the DK rap in that scene. Yeah. It was a perfect, like, just extra little touch on it. It's, but, it's uh, very surreal hearing, like, just the actual version of the song and not, like, a, a cover or something. I That's what most surprised me is I was aware of both the rap being in the movie and the controversy of it not being credited to grant kirkhope or anybody else involved i didn't know exactly what the credits said at the time but at the time i just thought well okay that really sucks but i imagine it's like a cover they probably cover they probably credited it to the people who did the cover and like lip service to it being owned by nintendo um that's not what they did it's just the original ass song that's in the game so like not only do i think like grant kirkhope was stiffed on that credit Chris Sutherland and George Andreas are super st- stiffed on that credit because, like, th- those voices didn't aren't a video game cartridge talking. Yeah, yeah. Those, those yeah. are mouth. Those are mouth sounds from people. 
John Tessier in the live stream says, there was a bit of sloppiness with the music editing for the DK rap. You can hear the start of, so they're finally here, before they cut to the DK, Donkey Kong. Yeah, they, they, they obviously looped it just to keep it like focused on Donkey Kong. And of course, you don't want to get into the coconut gun bit. Because uh, this Donkey <laughs> Kong, he don't shoot you. Oh, the Ring of Kong would take a turn if he did. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if he just shot Mario and then the movie, the credits were... <laughs> like, it just, it, the credits roll, like, to this montage of the Mushroom Kingdom in flames. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, I want that edit now. I want... I. I, I, I want the, the abridged cut. Like, no, don't even talk about the, the longer donger cut. Uh, let's, let's get the, let's get the, like, poison mushroom cut of the movie where Mario just <laughs> fucking dies right away. Uh, it's unfortunate. And of course, they also use, uh, some of David Wise's music. Um, we just get that little whiff, but we, we still, get something that David Wise composed. And David Wise, of course, gets no credit. Um, uh, and it should be pointed out, this was a blanket thing the movie did because there's a song from uh, Bowser's Fury in the movie that they just credit as being from Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Yeah. And it's... it's I, I know, like, cynically, like... Yeah, okay, they credited who they were legally obligated to credit. But in the rest of the credits, like, and leading up to this movie, like, they, in that Nintendo Direct, they made a very big deal of the fact that Koji Kondo was, had a role in the creation of the game soundtrack. Like, over, like, they actively consulted with him to get the feel right and. His name is rightfully all over the credits for that, both as both for his work on the movie and just historically like yeah, he designed he he codified like the feel of what Mario music sounds like. Mm-hmm. But it's just this dichotomy of like, well, you you did so right by this one man and like not by anybody else. And, and I realize yeah. like that's the nature of like essentially work for hire, you know. Um, right. But this is it's still like what they're legally required to do and what the right thing to do is. And this is a big issue with comic book movies too, because these comic book movies distill so much from the history and even longer history than we're talking about here. And so many characters that were created by people, they don't get the recognition for them. And maybe they do. So sometimes they do, but sometimes people are overlooked. And, you know, it, it's just a shame that even though, like, and Grant Kirkhope, David Wise, they both recently worked with Nintendo um, on, on, you know, the Mario plus rabbits games and donkey Kong country, tropical freeze and super smash brothers ultimate. So you, you would hope that they would still be in the peripheral there. Like, Oh yeah, we should, we should give credit where credit is due. And I hope if there is a donkey Kong movie, they rectify this for the donkey Kong movie, because look, like I, I don't think any like character creators or designers received credit in this movie, you know, outside of, no, Shigeru I Miyamoto. mean, 
Those are those are Kev Bayless and Steve Mills as Kongs in the movie. Yeah. They're not credited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I, I feel like Kev Bayless and Steve Mills should have gotten a credit. I feel like the artist at Retro Studios who designed things like the Golden Temple Monument and the Rocket Barrel, they should be credited. Like I feel like everybody should be credited. But a lot, you know, this also ties into mm-hmm. the shoddy way that Rare credited the creators back in the day, where they didn't list their full names in the credits because the stampers didn't want them poached by other studios. So the shittiness goes way back it's just in 2023 i'm hoping that people are more cognizant of this and being that we are hyper aware fans of all of this of course we know the creators by heart it would be nice if they could get their due i was about to ask the question like on air like was chunky kong like an ed bryan creation or was that steve mills and the fact that i'm not sure illustrates the problem Yeah, exactly (laughs) yeah I, I honestly don't know who designed if, – if it was uh, Mark Stevenson who might have designed Chunky. Um, so, eh, I like, it doesn't sit right with me. Uh, I, I understand the frustration of, of Grant Kirkhope. I don't think Chris Sutherland has spoken about this. Um, I He should be just as outraged considering it's his damn voice in the movie. Like, he is in – Chris Sutherland's DK rapper has more speaking lines than Diddy Kong yeah, has I, in this movie. I mean, we're Grant Kirkhope, I think, just is the most out, one of the most outspoken rare alumnus yeah. online. So we've heard it from him. Um, even though there's not comment from Chris and George, like I do feel like they were kind they were kind of done dirty by this. Yeah, but you know, it is cool that you know a ukulele character does appear. <laughs> In the Super Mario Bros. <laughs> wasn't expecting it. Uh, gives me hope for Royston in the sequel. So, <laughs> speaking of, of, of creators, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto gave an interview um, with Screen Rant, an exclusive interview, ooh la la, about the Super Mario Brothers movie. And this, I think, went up yesterday, yesterday from the day we're recording this, which is Saturday. April 8th, and uh, Miyamoto said that one of the most surprising aspects of the Super Mario Brothers movie was combining the worlds of Donkey Kong and Mario. Uh, he, he explained that for him, and this is Screen Rant sort of editorializing what he said, because Screen Rant said he explains that for him, <coughs> the two worlds have always been separate. However, it seems this movie has changed its perspective. Which that that is total editorialization because what Miyamoto says, at least according to the translation, is and we, <laughs> Miyamoto has been mistranslated before. Creators have been mistranslated before about Donkey Kong, which has led to yeah. all sorts of heartache. So please, please do not base your personality or around 10 years of your website's uh, <laughs> attitude around this. <laughs> uh, this is what Miyamoto allegedly says, according to Screen Rant. Bringing the world of Donkey Kong into the Mushroom Kingdom. In the past, there was the Mario group, and then Donkey Kong was a separate thing in my mind. But looking back, there are games like Mario Party where they appear together, to the point where I was thinking, why am I separating them? And when the idea of bringing them together came up, we just thought it was a great idea. So, uh, th- th- this was this was shared to me like late last night. People were like tagging me in this, sending me DMs with this. 
uh, like, oh my god, Miyamoto says the worlds are now together and he thinks it's a great idea. The movie changed his mind. The Donkey Kong series <laughs> autonomy is dead. Pe- you know, people are just flying off the handle and I'm like, it's too late for this. I, I'm going to sleep. So, again, Screen Rant was editorializing what he said. There's nothing that says Miyamoto has permanently changed his perspective for he- the games. Um, Reading what he actually said, this doesn't feel like a switch flipped because of the movie. It feels like this is a thing that was like radiating in the background of his mind for years, just looking at the totality of what, how they've been treating Donkey Kong and Mario. Yeah, and like it, it seemed like he, w- he it was broached, maybe by Illumination, maybe by the screenwriter for for the movie, and he was like, "Well, yeah, why not?" Because you know. At the beginning of his statement, it, it kind of outright confirms what we've always argued, that he, he says, bringing Donkey Kong into the Mushroom Kingdom, uh, and then the Mario group, and then Donkey Kong, was always a separate thing in my mind. So, like, I don't think this changes anything for the games. And Donkey Kong has never not appeared in all these Mario side games. For everybody's saying, oh no, we're not going to get a solo Donkey Kong game now. He's just going to be paired with Mario and new Super Mario Brothers Switch 2 or, or, or whatever the hell. Uh, calm down. This doesn't change any plans. All Miyamoto was saying was he, it, it surprised and delighted him that it worked so well for the movie. Why not? But everything else he said is pretty much on par with what we've been led to believe about the division between the two brands. You're, you're always going to have that crossover, but for everybody fearing now that they're inseparable, that from now on they're just going to be the same omni-property similar to Mario and Yoshi, it's, it's not going to be like that at all. Uh, and, and for more evidence of that, look at the Universal Park, which is completely a separate part of the park with, with no Mario iconography to speak of. It worked for the movie. This does not mean that Donkey Kong's own brand identity is dead. Calm down. If anything, I'd say that the movie, as I touched on earlier, kind of like reinforced and like renewed confidence in the idea that like, oh, no matter how much you marry Mario to Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong has its own identity stands on its own in ways that like can't be sacrificed on the altar of Mario anymore. Absolutely. Because Donkey Kong country is just so entrenched in the popular culture as this is what Donkey Kong is. Right. Yeah. Like everything I saw in this movie, I think bode well for the future of Donkey Kong. And and like I said, like this theater was filled with kids who were, too young for tropical freeze. I felt ancient and decrepit in the theater. I, I, I was older than Bernie Sanders Kong on the screen. Like I, I'm just falling to bits here. No, I still look pretty. Stroking good. your beard with your foot. Yeah. No, I, I don't have a beard, but I was stroking something. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not bumper the badger here. Uh, he, we went to jail for lewd conduct. No, I think that, um, Kids are definitely going to walk out of this saying, you know, who is my favorite character? Donkey Kong, you know, and and that's we're we're definitely going to get converts who are going to be calling into the DK Vine hotline uh, five to ten years from now 
saying, you know what, my introduction to Donkey Kong was the Super Mario Brothers movie, and from there I discovered Donkey Kong Country 2, which led me to Diddy Kong Racing, which led me to Banjo-Kazooie, which led me to It's Mr. Pants. So, th- this is all good news. And I think Miyamoto, what he said, actually calmed me down when I actually read it in the cold light of day. I was like, oh yeah, wait, like, he, wh- what he's saying is, they're separate, but, you know, the the idea came up to bring them together in the movie. I thought it was a great idea, and they're always going to have that connection in things like Mario Kart, in things like, it was weird Mario Party was his go-to example, and not Mario Kart, but whatever, yeah, uh... There, there, there's always going to be that connection. Donkey Kong will be a Mario character, but Donkey Kong will always be a Donkey Kong character first and foremost. So how should Donkey Kong fans be feeling right now? Well, in my opinion, they should be pretty damn excited. Look, it, it's... I think nothing but good times ahead. Like, walking out of the theater... I was in a really good mood, despite it being like 90 degrees in early April. Our dying planet aside, I was in a really good mood because I was like, you know, I just saw I just saw a big budget animated Hollywood movie where Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong had very prominent parts. Cranky Kong had more of a role than I thought he would. Like, I thought Cranky Kong would like be in the arena, there would be a scene with him, and then maybe he would fade into the background. And maybe I should have realized because he was on the cart and, you know, the poster and whatever. But, um, yeah, Cranky Kong, like, had a lot of time to shine. But I, I just saw Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong portrayed very accurately to their characters on screen. And and beside that, we had cameos by Diddy, Dixie, Chunky, and Swanky Kong. And, and sort of Funky Kong. And if you squint, maybe Kitty Kong. And... <laughs> That's that's amazing. And we know two things. We know that there is a big budget, highly expensive, uh, international theme park expansion to Super Nintendo World for Donkey Kong being built right now in Osaka and Orlando. We know purportedly that development of Donkey Kong has been taken back internally and they're hard at work at it right now. Maybe even, you know, starting to wrap things up. We could, you know, who knows when we're going to get an announcement. But I, I would say Nintendo's schedule is starting to open up once uh, tier, tier, tiers of the tears of the Jungle Kingdom comes out, whatever it is. And um, yeah, we tears could, of a crown. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's good camera that's not solid uh we've got all of this brand recognition now for donkey kong the like do, do i want donkey kong to be permanently thought of as a mario character first and foremost hell no but like we just said he'll always be linked he'll always be sort of a mario character and it's kind of nice to get the rub from the Super Mario Brothers movie, um, it will significantly bolster the next DK game. If it comes out this year, if it comes out next year, if it comes out five years from now, hopefully not. <laughs> but the stop-start structure of Donkey Kong since the rare buyout for the last 20 years has really prevented any forward momentum for the series from building up 
Like, we thought Donkey Kong Country Returns was going to be that, and yeah, it was for a while, and then it just stopped dead. And and now we have entire generation of kids who've grown up without a Donkey Kong game. So let's hope Nintendo takes advantage of that momentum now that we have it back on our side. And you know what? I believe, and all of my sources have told me, that they are taking advantage of it. So, uh, nothing but good times ahead. Um, is there anything you would like to add before we we wrap things up? I think you summed it up pretty well. Uh, I got nothing to add. Uh, mostly I'm just noticing uh, we've ran more than twice the length of the movie itself at this point. So <laughs> this, this is the length it should have been, in my opinion. I did this to prove a point that you you could do content centering around Super Mario Brothers movie and hit the required four-hour mark to make it a Peter Jackson film. Uh, so, if Frimpy's really quick in the live stream, says, isn't it funny how Universal tried to sue Nintendo over Donkey Kong's namesake, and now they have a movie with Donkey Kong in it and a theme park, and they have a lot invested in the Donkey Kong IP to the point where we know Nintendo is really building it up to be the next damn big thing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, just... Everything... Might have more way. invested in the Donkey Kong IP than the King Kong IP at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything has a way of working out in the end. And speaking of the ends, my friends, I want to take a moment to remember those we lost during the making of the Super Mario Brothers movie. I would like to give a eulogy right now to the Nintendo Cinematic Universe Swanky Kong by way of the poet Walt Whitman. <clears throat> oh, Swanky, my Swanky, your fearful drive is done. The cart has weathered every track. Your appearance, we sought, is won. Cranky Kong is near. Aha, I hear. Morton Harkett is exulting. While follow eyes the bouncer Kong, the cart drifts in daring. Take on me, 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 oh the fiery embers red. Where on the dock my swanky lies, burning hot and dead. Good night, everyone. Did Adam die too? What happened to him? <laughs> This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.